Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. I'm going to go and say, and say safety. I feel really safe here. There's not a lot of crime here. The police don't carry guns. Uh, people don't carry guns. So I feel like really safe. Like if I see a policeman walking by, like I have no fear at all, at all. I've never been stopped by a policeman here. So it's just a certain level of security here, you know. My experience is for the most part has been really good. Um, police don't, you know, profile me as much as they used to back in the States. I would have to definitely say uh, safety is number one thing that uh, kind of drawn my wife and I to call Japan home. This may sound a little strange, a little hyperbolic, but here in Japan, Mm -hmm. I am a free black man. I came here when I was 21, Mm -hmm. and it's the first time, well, that was almost 40 years ago, next January will be 38 years ago, nearly 40 years ago, but living here, I feel free. I don't fear the police. I feel like a free black man. Actually, just a free man. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating here. Forgive me if it sounds hyperbolic, but no, really. If for some drastic reason Japan changes, I may have to go somewhere else. A lot of black people feel safer in Asia. There's a lot of things, little subtle things that I do in Japan or has done that's, you know, makes me feel at home. Um, but if I compare it to other experiences I've had as a black man, uh, the safety and the, the lack of police, like racial profiling, and even if you do have some sort of interaction with the police, I mean, there's, you know, you never... I don't know, I've never talked to anyone who at any time started feeling in fear in, a, you know, in some sort of physical way. Um, and I saw your video when you got stopped over <laughs> in Tokyo. And yeah, I mean, yeah, at, at best it's, it's troublesome. I don't really, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, um, you are a lot nicer than I am, but, um, but I don't think at any time you ever think like, hey, these guys are gonna, you know, throw me down in the hood and, and really just embarrass me and, you know, so, yeah, I mean, how can you not like that? I just think, like, for me, I always want to encourage all blacks 
to, you know, up their game up, especially black Americans. Like, I just feel that we kind of stay in our country where we're discriminated against in our own country. We build a wilderness up for everybody else to come over. I'm not going to get into that right now. And I feel like we're getting discriminated in our own country. Like we're foreigners and we're not. You know, so I really want black Americans to know there's a place for you. It's there's a place in Rwanda. I'm there place in God. I'm there, too. There's a place in Japan. So you should come over and let's, you know, let's build together. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Wednesday, June 17, 2020. So I have been told global system of racism uh, right now so much of, of what has been happening uh, this year has been uh, global uh, and historic in scope uh, the protests uh, against the police killings of black people uh, and racism in general uh, as well as the COVID-19 uh, pandemic all have been having an impact all around the world as does the system of white supremacy racism uh, and just uh, for context I reckon because I think it's uh, important really for, for everything uh, racism, the protests uh, and COVID-19 uh, we have had just since uh, I believe March since everything kind of got serious in the states uh, with COVID-19 uh, we have had the fortune uh, of having folks on the program uh, from China Austria, South Korea, London, Brazil, Canada, Norway. We have failed to get some folks from the continent. Keep at it. That is important. But getting a global perspective, I do think that there is a huge value in that. Uh, just being able to check in and you know see what's happening in different parts of the world and get different information, share, exchange views uh, on white supremacy, racism, as well as a lot of other topics, things that are happening extremely helpful uh, particularly with everything that has happened this year with that uh, you can add to the list uh, Japan uh, I actually saw spectacular content uh, on the YouTube channel Black Experience Japan uh, I saw it I think before all of this with the coronavirus and the protest and all of that uh, really got rolling and I was surprised uh, because they were talking about white supremacy it was mentioned specifically uh, in a number of the descriptions uh, for the different broadcasts and things that they have, including a documentary. Uh, and they were talking to a lot of different black people uh, and some non black people, but a lot of different black people, mostly uh, just about their uh, experience uh, coming to different parts of so-called Asia, Japan. Singapore, Vietnam, China, talking about their experience, uh, experience getting away from racism. You heard some of that in the sound clip at the beginning, feeling of being safer. And hey, I don't have to worry about, you know, any George Floyd type situations, no Breonna Taylor type situations. Feel like I can relax. The police go by and my heart doesn't have to, you know, ramp up. I don't think that they're going to, you know, snatch me down on the ground and demand where am I going? Am I selling cigarettes illegally? very interesting content to hear their different perspectives and to make sure it's not all you know it's spectacular and everything is great there are some experiences of you know I didn't get the best treatment and maybe it was because I'm a black person some of that too but either way all very informative 
great content. I would encourage folks to go to YouTube and check it out. Lots of subscribers. He's been doing uh, spectacular work for a good period of time. Black Experience Japan. Uh, we are so thankful to have him on the program. With the wacky time difference, it worked out perfectly because we are at our normal broadcast time. For me, it is 5 p.m. here in Seattle. For him, all the way on the other side of the planet, it is 9 a.m. Thursday morning. But things worked out well. Joining us live from Japan, our guest, uh, Mr. Renzo. Are you with us, sir? I am, I am. Ohio. Thanks for having me. Ohio, Ohio. Thank you so <laughs> much <laughs> for uh, hanging out with us this Thursday morning. Uh, for our listeners, uh, again, if you have not visited the channel, subscribe. All that good stuff. Great content on racism, white supremacy, black experience, Japan. Uh, just if you could give our listeners a little bit of info about who you are and the work that you do. Okay, well, I'm a black man living in Japan. And um, what I do is I try, there's a, two things with the work I do. Um, I was doing like live streams before when I moved to Japan and um, live streams and video. And people kept asking me what it was like uh, to be black in Japan. And I was getting a question so much that I felt like I wanted to answer it, but I felt like my experience or the experience of my wife or my family here is would not be sufficient, right? So I wanted to get uh, diverse views from black people across Japan. So I'm like, you know what, why not ask multiple people and do it? So that's what I did. And the next thing, too, was that there was a sense uh, from people who watch the videos, non-black people, who thought that Black people only came to Japan and other countries to just take, right? Um, that we had nothing to contribute to the societies, etc. So I got, you know, I got questions, um, not questions, but statements like that were made. Uh, when you're a black creator um, online, usually you do attract racist people sometimes, right? And they would spam your stuff and they would do all sorts of things like that. Um, so I was getting some of those statements and I'm like, you know what? These people are so like ignorant, uninformed, all these things. And we understand the way it is. Um, so I'm like, you know what? I also want to show people who the black people in Japan are. Because the thing is, black people in Japan, the vast majority, when you come to Japan, you have to be contributing something to the society. It's not a place you can just walk walk in and say, hey, I'm going to take over or I'm going to just walk in and just lounge. You, when you come to Japan, you come to work. Uh, you come to Japan, you come to contribute something to society. So I wanted to uh, broadcast um, like, sort of like a profile piece of individual black people uh, so people understand who they were as people. Right. Um, and as a source to inspire other black people as well. And also um, on the flip side, if they, if, you know, if they come in contact with the content for those ignorant people to understand that black people are way more than they believe we are. So, yeah, it's twofold. Experience Japan, subscribe, like spectacular content. How long have you been operating the channel? We started in 20, uh, 2017. Right on three years. OK. Strong start. Uh, hopefully, you'll have many more years of successful uh, content to come. Uh, you already said you're a black male, yes? I am. Right on. And what part of the world uh, were you born in? I was born in Jamaica. Okay, okay, okay. And how long uh, have you been in Japan? Coming up to my, I'm entering my fifth year, so my fourth year is um, going to conclude this summer. Oh, snap, in like what? Two months. <laughs> wow. I japan in uh august 2016 okay okay so did you now did you make that move directly uh from jamaica to japan or did you have some other detours before you got there yeah so when i left jamaica i left jamaica actually and i immigrated to canada 
right? Um, and then I was living there, and then um, I moved from Canada with my family to to Japan. You know, I was talking with my wife. We had a conversation. Um, like I had a conversation with someone at this place I was working, and she was talking about um, Japan. Like she was a manager, and she said, "Oh, I was in Japan for two years." I'm like, "Really?" I'm like, "You know, I always wanted to visit Japan." And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to talk to my wife and see. Because she said she she went on this program. And I'm like, you know what? Let me talk to my wife because my wife is actually a trained teacher from Canada. So I'm like, you know what? Hey, let, let's see what can happen. Uh, so I went home. I spoke with my wife. And it just turned out that the deadline for that very program was two weeks out. So right at the moment when I had a conversation, it was two weeks out. So I'm like, oh, this might be fate because I think it's like almost a year or something like that. Between like six months to a year is just the the open the application period. And I got it at the tail end. So I'm like, this must be destiny or something. Uh, so I spoke to my wife. We looked it up. We saw two weeks and we just started the process. So so we moved here. So she was with it. So, yeah, we just moved from Canada, me, her, my daughter to Japan. Okay. Uh, what part of Canada were you all in? Ontario, Toronto specifically, or no, 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 no. So, well, I I've lived in different places across Canada, but like, uh, but Ontario, so Toronto was first, um, or maybe Scarborough to be specific, and then um, Brampton. But we were living in Mississauga at that time, so okay. it's in the greater Toronto area. Oh, okay, okay, we have listeners there and bailed retreat there and all kinds of things. So good to get details. All right. Um, for our program, uh, I use the term racism uh, and the term white supremacy. I use them as synonyms. Uh, I use the same definition for both terms. Uh, that definition is a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? I believe that there is a system of white supremacy, of course. I believe that. Um, in terms of your definition, I guess it I guess it seems accurate to me. Sounds accurate to me. Okay. Uh you use the I told listeners if you you know check Black Experience Japan, if you look at uh, the descriptions, you'll see the term white supremacy uh in some of the descriptions and racism. They talk about it all the time. If you listen, certainly you'll hear those terms. Uh do you have a definition uh that you uh use for the term white supremacy, racism? Do you have a definition that you normally have uh for those terms? You know what? I actually have never tried to define it. So when you so to me it's almost like one of those things that you that you that, that I understand innately, um, you know the system. Um, usually, when I think about that, I think about black people specifically, um, right? How things are stacked against us. Um, for instance, um, that's what I think about when I think about white supremacy. I usually never even thought about other people that are non-white. I usually thought of, I think about black people and um, what we have to to go through. Um, so that's what I go. That's what one a part of my work is against, of course. Um, specifically, I target media. Uh, because I believe that media is one of the tools that um, has been deployed or utilized um, to sort of like um, subjugate black people and, uh, I guess, shed white supremacy abroad. And that's why even in Asia, I believe people have certain viewpoints and it's as a result of media itself. So that's my view. White supremacy is a system that was constructed and built to hold black people down and keep us in a subservient position um, as long as human possible. That's, I guess, my definition of it. As long as humanly possible. 
That's why we should have a sense of urgency about solving this problem. Try to emphasize that all the time. Uh, Okay, so where are you at specifically uh, in Japan? Tokyo. Tokyo. Okay, big city. Wow, lots of it. Do you know? I mean, that's a big city. How many people are we talking about approximately? Is it like 13 million approximately? Somewhere there. Wow. Wow. Now, how often do you see black people as you move about Tokyo? (laughs) Um, Black people in Tokyo. Man, I can go like a day without seeing a black person Um, or maybe even longer. Uh, Not often. It depends where you go. If I go to like maybe Shibuya or somewhere where you have more tourists or foreigners, I may run into like one or two black people, Um, but not a lot. It's you can go a while without seeing um, someone that looks like you. Wow. Now, I mean, that's pretty broad. I didn't say how how often do you bump into Jamaicans or Caribbeans or Africans or black people from the States? Just how often do you see black people in a city of millions? Like, yep. wow, that's uh, I don't, do you have a do you have a theory or let me ask this one then. So how often do you see white people? <laughs> white people. Um, hmm. Do I see white people more than black people? I guess that's the question. Honestly, I can't even say. Uh, I can't even say. Um, it might be the same. It might. It depends where you are, though. There are some areas where, for instance, okay, like there are some areas where you see more white people. Um, like for instance, I tend to see more white people in the more affluent areas. Like yesterday, I was in this area. It was like an affluent area. Um, and the whole time I, I've, I saw like quite a few white people actually walking around. Um, but, uh, I never saw no black people on the, on the street, but where I went, there were black people there, but outside in the, in the, just walking about riding their bikes. Um, I saw more, uh, most of the white people there. There are some areas in Tokyo as well, where you would go to and you'd see more black people. Um, like for instance, if you go to a place called Rapongi, you'd see more black people there. Um, sometimes in Harajuku, you might see more black people, Shinjuku as well, uh, uh, Shibuya. These areas are like, you know, touristy areas like people usually go there because it's more i guess uh foreigners just go there because it's you know it's publicized everyone wants to go to where things happen it's like Times square type vibe um so uh so yeah so yeah but foreigners the percentage is like literally i think it's like what two percent of foreigners across japan and i think the vast majority of that percentage are of asian uh descent right so asian people so korean uh chinese etc right so uh so the foreigner population overall is most asian and then we have you know like um the caucasian indian people black people etc uh, but it's a very small percentage and i guess since we're talking about this the march that took place in in uh, on sunday the tokyo black lives matter march it was uh, mostly non-black people from what I've seen and other people have echoed that same sentiment where I was looking around. It was like, a prax- from, from what they said, uh, it was reported that about 3,500 people showed up and the vast majority of the people there were non-black people. And I think that was reflective of the actual percentage of black people that reside in Tokyo or Japan, right? So I don't think it was that, you know, a lot of black people never went out. I think it's just showing you that how many, uh, you know, black people are in Tokyo. Um, it's a sa- small sample size, I guess, of what the reality is. So even in, in, in the, I was in this, because it was, there were so many people, you had to move in groups, right? So I was uh, filming it, I live streamed the whole thing. And um, I was looking around, and behind me there was a Japanese guy, and there was like a lot of white people behind me. Um, I think there was a, there was a black girl actually, like leading in front of me, and then, um, but you had to look really, really hard to find a black person. And it was 
to me it was surreal to see um all these non-black people um holding up the sign like because the thing is this, like when i was in the market i wasn't even really paying attention to um like demographics like i, I it, it was immediately apparent like you just notice i'm like snap where are the black people at right and then so i wasn't really taking it in too deep but when we were marching and then they held up the sign and was looking around like in japanese um you know different um phrases uh in english you know black lives matter and um all these different phrases that people had and they were chanting and i was looking around and i saw like you know like white hands going up holding the sun i'm looking around I'm like snap it was to, to to be honest there was a moment there and i'm not just trying to make this up like there was a moment that i and i share this with people where it was sort of surreal i'm not sure what the impetus was of course um but people have been reaching out to black people all over just trying to see if they can help in some way shape or form i'm not sure if it's a fat or not but i'm like at least right now there is some sort of interest and i hope it's um let um genuine and all that authentic but they were shouting like um chanting black black lives matter and all these things i'm like i don't even see any black people all these people are saying these things aren't black so it was quite a, a surreal experience, I must say. And I think other people shared that too. It was it was different. There was something about it. I don't know what it is, but I'm like there was a moment where I'm like, oh snap, okay. Okay, I don't know what's going on here, but this is this is different. Hmm. Yeah. That video uh is on the Black Experience Japan channel. Uh it's I think the most recent video up there from just a couple of days ago. Uh and I did watch it, I can uh confirm. Uh from the I watched the entire video and from what I saw, the number like you said, about thirty five hundred people it looked like they had a substantial number of folks out. Uh and uh it did look like it was mostly non-black people uh as he said he interviews uh quite a few folks if you watch the video he gets a lot of the black people that were there but it i mean overwhelmingly non-black people out marching the signs the chants all of that you can check the video out uh from the channel um i will say just being someone in seattle it is pretty common to see lots of non-black people out marching and chanting they are kind of known for doing that sort of thing here in the seattle area the non mostly white people uh, in fact they're most of the folks that are out downtown right now uh, doing a lot of the protesting that's been going on in Seattle. Uh, you interviewed uh, one of the folks who was helping uh, organize uh, the march, uh, I guess we'll call it. You can check out that video uh, on the channel as well. Was she one of the folks that helped organize the march you attended this past weekend? Yeah, yeah. She was um, the organizer um, in Tokyo. Oh, okay. And this is a young uh, black lady who helped uh, organize. Was there, I guess, was there any any danger or risk about participating going like did you feel any danger risk being out yourself or was there any danger risk about organizing this was this like an acceptable yeah let's go protest type thing well uh, i'm not an organizer so i'm not sure about behind the scenes but um the thing well there were people like on twitter for instance who said they were gonna have like you know uh anti um counter protests right so like for instance i'm with people like non-black people who said they were going to come out and they were going to disrupt or well they they said that if anything happened they would they would stand there to defend or whatever they said um so there were some you know pushback from non black people in that regard but on the ground there was nothing um but the thing that was uh if you like the japanese commenters and stuff like that the major concern was that um covid-19 was still um you know running rampant well it's not as 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 bad as it was before but they were saying that Tokyo was trying to get back to normal. Japan was trying to get back to normal. You know, they're fighting the virus and all that. And they're tr- they said that if um, people went ahead with the march, 
um, it's just showing at this time that it's just showing that you know um, uh, black people um, those who are participating are selfish and uh, they don't care about the Japanese people's lives because if you know if they're saying what they're saying they also need to be um, aware that you know Japan has a lot of old people as well um, it's an aging population and if there is a second wave um, as a result result of this it just shows um, you know that uh, foreigners um, are problematic and all these things. So there were. Um, so if you look at the, the videos that I did, the live stream, uh, the interview, um, mostly Japanese, right? Uh, so it's in Japanese. So maybe people might have to translate it or something. But the the, the vast majority of people they're saying that um, they're talking about um, COVID nineteen. They're saying they don't have a problem with the march. Some people do, but largely the the, the most people are saying, "Look, man, it's the time is off." Uh, you guys got to think about us as well when you're doing this. Imagine, we're trying to get back to normal. Businesses are closed. You know, we've, we've lost so much money. We want to get back to normal. We're working toward this thing. But now this might, um, you know, um, ruin our efforts and just push us all the way back uh, to the beginning of this whole thing again. So that was what were, was coming out. So there was some pushback on that front. Um, beyond that, there, there's nothing else. I, never, I I can't recall any other. Some people are saying, "Well, it's Japan. Why do people? Why are people protesting? It has nothing to do with Japan, whatever." But what were the most things? Most of the, the complaints were about um, COVID nineteen. Hmm. Context of white supremacy. Our guest Ranzo joining us live from Tokyo, Japan. Uh, he operates the Black Experience Japan channel. Check it out on youtube uh they had that should sound familiar uh to some folks uh in fact i'd been saying like oh we like it, it they've been saying they've had a number of reports mainstream outlets saying oh wow the protests in the united states could this spark a second wave or could this spark a, a spike in uh the virus and COVID 19 in different areas where people have been out protesting for weeks now they've been saying that and i said that could be a part of a really uh, racist backlash uh, and saying that oh man it's black people's fault if we have to do some sort of shutdown again or if they say that this has messed up the economy exactly what he just said we're trying to reopen and get things restarted and now we got all this disturbance and he didn't even mention the looting and you know all that property destruction that they've had here uh, I don't think they've had he said it's been peaceful and they didn't have any of that so yeah that is uh, that that you can't in Japan is very strict, man. Like, and the organizers they they did you know tell everyone to make sure that it's peaceful. They even said if someone even um you know came over and like punched someone or do something, you know we should just like back away from the person and just uh, call the police to to apprehend the person. There was a lot of police actually. There was like like a lot um, when we were doing the march. I, I saw like. I don't know, definitely maybe at least 100 police at, one, uh, in, at this one section wow. um, that, that, were, that were actually there. Um, but yeah, they, they said that, right? So that, in Japan, no one would do that. Like the thing, That's the thing with Japan. Japan is extremely safe. And um, you hardly see any type of thing like that. And that's one of the reasons why people are here. And it's no exaggeration, right? Like that's how Japan is. Like you go out, things do happen, right? Like maybe like petty crimes and stuff like that. But the crime rate, like even, what do you call it? Uh, when someone loses something, um, I think... The rate of return of like wallets and cell phones is like what eighty seven percent or something like that a high percentage um but my wife lost something very valuable, and she never got it back so just to show you that um even though that's the case in Japan, sometimes you have one off in- incidents, but it's very safe though, so no one is gonna like do it loot or whatever because the thing is anyone that does that yeah the japan their their system is very good at like catching people uh so if someone does that, it's like man, you're just 
uh, deporting yourself pretty much. So I think people would think twice. And then most people, again, in Japan are professionals, right? Um, or people are doing things. So people here generally, you know, have their head, head screwed on tight. You might have like a very, very small percentage of people who are, who are crazy, but most people um, won't do that. Do the enforcement officials, the police there, do they have uh, firearms or non-lethal rounds? What do they carry? You know what? I don't even know. I think I saw police with a gun at one point, but most of when I'm looking, I don't see a gun. But the, the, the clip that you played in the beginning of that um, uh, uh, snippet, the guy's from South Korea, actually. So when I interview people in South Korea, people are saying that the police don't carry guns um and stuff like that in south korea but in japan usually what they do is i know that they have like you know jujitsu and stuff like that so they do more like martial arts and stuff to, like apprehend people so like if you you know if a if a, a japanese police officer is trying to stop a person that's running or something or that's getting like you know like rowdy or violent or whatever they just employ some type of jujitsu type tactic um and 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 uh, sub to subdue the person, but I've I haven't seen a, I think I, I've seen a gun once, but I can't say with one hundred percent certainty. But for mo- the most part, I look next time I look and see. But for the most part, I don't think um I've seen them with guns. I'm trying, yeah, I've been stopped twice, but I don't recall seeing um any guns on them. Very different experience uh, on the other side of the world. But even without rounds, that's pretty, that is, substan- I, I would just put it this way. If I was uh, a foreigner in somebody else's country and, and particularly they're in the middle of this COVID-19 thing and they've got shutdowns and all that. And everybody is kind of looking a little side eyes at, at folks from different places and all that. I don't know how I would feel about protesting. And then even to go out and see a hundred officers, like at an intersection, like, Wow, that is uh, that's a little tense. That's a little bit more anxiety than you would have in a typical day, I would think. But yeah, but I think but I think people understand the way um, Japan is. For instance, well, I think that, well, first of all, uh, uh, foreigners can't protest. So, so based on what I've heard, it's actually a march, right? So it's not like a protest; it's a march. And the thing is, well, you know, I I was um, I think it would have been good to maybe at least just um, just to maybe make a statement to allay the concerns but it's really mixed i guess that's a, i guess that's the problem because some people um have no problem with it and some people are saying well the, the virus and thing but that's the only honestly that was the only thing that they brought to the fore uh, was about covid19 so i felt like that was a major concern so in my mind i'm like okay so if this wasn't the case it seemed like most people wouldn't be saying what they're saying because like 95 percent of the arguments are about covid19 so I think that was very telling that if um, maybe if that was kind of like addressed a little bit, maybe people wouldn't be talking about that so so much. Um, but yeah, but you know what? Um, the march took place and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully the the um, the aftermath is is good and not negative. But so far, as I said, it's mixed. People on the ground, I ask people questions. It seems like it's mixed, right? So I think that's what it is. Like everyone has something different, but it's mixed. So you'll find people for it. And people against it, uh, but I guess that's just the way it is. But COVID nineteen is the the main thing. Um, yeah. Wow. I know they've kind of reopened things uh, in Japan. Although I did see that they're having a so called recession uh, as a result of of how much disruption COVID nineteen has caused. When did the virus get serious in Japan? <laughs> oh man, that question, that question. Yeah, we were on state of emergency. And um, they removed that, I don't know, what was it, two weeks ago, maybe? Uh, don't quote me with the timeline, but it was maybe a two weeks ago. Uh, but the thing with Japan in the beginning, um, 
the most people felt like the response to COVID-19 was slow, right? Because while other countries were like shutting the borders and doing all these things and testing and checking and all this, these things, Japan wasn't doing it, right? So Japan waited however long. And some people were saying it was because of the Olympics, right? Because, you know, the Olympics is coming up. They were trying to delay it. And then um, the moment, and the thing is, the moment they, uh, you know, the, the, what do you call it? Um, they cancel the Olympics, or postpone the Oli- Olympics. Then we started hearing stuff. I'm like, okay, y'all just waited until, right? So that was the whole up, <laughs> you know, because of the Olympics. Because I was traveling during that time because I went to Singapore and the experience in Singapore was different from Japan. When I was leaving Japan, like, they asked me questions. Okay, have you been to China, Wuhan, this place, this place, um, all these things? I'm like, nah, I haven't been there in this period of time, whatever. Boarded the flight, went to Singapore. When I went to Singapore, they asked me questions. Um, you know, like, okay, were you here? Da, da, da. Um, when I even went to the hotel, they, you know, they checked my temperature, all these things. I had to sign my temperature, sign the conscious. I've been to all these things, all these procedures that in Japan were not in effect at the time, right? So Singapore was already doing all these things when Japan wasn't even doing it. So people were saying, man, Japan response was slow. And, uh, but the numbers here seem to be low. Some people are saying they're, they're like hiding the numbers or whatever, uh, but I don't know. But so far, um, the numbers generally are, generally are quite low, and um, people have died, unfortunately. Uh, but people are saying the response was slow, and I think it had something to do with the Olympics. You know, if, if you can imagine, like, the amount of money they invested, like, even the train stations there are changed. Like, they're constructing new, like, I think, buildings and stuff. Even uh, Harajuku has this new addition to the station. Like, the whole place, um, there's so many differences. So, you can imagine if you, after investing, like, maybe, what, billions or millions of dollars or whatever, um, for you to just postpone something, you're probably, you're, you're going to try your best not to, uh, to try to delay as much as possible to make that announcement. So, I think that was maybe one of the reasons why. Mm. With everything that has happened this year, I totally forgot about the Olympics. Like that got <laughs> scratched. I mean, that's a big deal. Like you said, that's that's billions. I think you were right the first time. They probably spent billions of dollars and all the time and energy and everything. Like that's four years of planning and everything. Like my goodness, I'm sure that was not happy day. Like yes, we are excited. Let's scrap all this that we've been planning for the last four years because of this virus. And you know, we'll see if we can pick this back up a year from now. Like man. Um, yeah. With is it accurate? Because I've been seeing some news reports where they said uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, uh, people are so frustrated that they think he might be in trouble. Like this might have some political costs that that enough people are upset of him not taking the virus more seriously and putting in some of those restrictions and things in place. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's accurate in terms of even though the Japanese people overall, the younger people are not really into politics that much. I think the percentage of people that actually vote is like really low. How much is it? I think it's at under 50%, maybe under 30% or something like that. Like, it's really low. Apparently, the people here aren't really um, interested in politics like that, right? Um, so especially especially the young people. But, yeah, from what I've heard, um, his popularity has, like, you know, fallen um, due to COVID-19. I think he has done that to, to a lot of people because COVID-19, man, the, the thing came in like a... I don't know what this thing was, man. It literally came in to disrupt the world. That's one thing I can say about that. Wow. Do you all have folks over there? I, it, here they're called uh, Corona Truthers, Rona Truthers. I've shortened it to Rona Truthers. But uh, the folks who say that this doesn't exist, that they're making this up just to cause disruption or they got other nefarious plans. Like, is that is there a population of those folks in Japan who are like, ah, they're making this up. This is a hoax and we don't believe it. Well, I'm not sure about on the ground, but online, of course, um, people have spoken about that. 
Um, you know, even myself, when I heard about what was going on, I'm like, man, I'm like, I don't know. You know, like, it just seems so strange. I don't know what the truth of the matter is with COVID-19. All I can say is when COVID-19 came out, yeah, man, it disrupted the world. But you do have people online that were saying that. Now, I don't think, is anyone still saying that? I'm not sure, but... Um, but yeah, it definitely took us all by surprise. And then, you know, like it's almost like it set us all up for the, uh, the, the marches and stuff, right? Because from what I'm, I've been talking to some people and it's like, if the mar if people weren't like under, um, on quarantine and COVID-19, it's almost set the stage for all that's taking place now, right? Because now people had to listen, people had to watch, you know, people are more people are watching screens now, um, due to COVID-19. So I think that kind of set the stage for, what took place afterwards with the marches going across the world. So, you know, maybe um, COVID-19 maybe had some, you know, benefit or something, but um, I'm not trying to say it that way because I know a lot of people died. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been a strange year. Let me just say that. But yeah, in, in, ter- in terms of your question, online, I haven't heard anyone on the ground, but online. Okay. Okay. It has been the strangest of years in quite some times. Understatement. Wow. Um, are they like, do you have to wear a mask? Are you wearing a mask like your family, your wife? Or is it, you know, something that you always still yeah. taking? But, you know, yeah, we do. But, you know, what happens? Because usually look, before this, I don't wear a mask. Right. I think some foreigners, usually when you would wear a mask as a foreigner, like people would stare at you more than normal. You already get stares. Right. Because, look, you're a black man. Like, for instance, me, like I'm a little tall or whatever. So, like, depending on what I'm wearing, I don't know if I look scared sometimes or not. But um, when I'm on the street, sometimes uh, I get eyeballs. Um, and when they're wearing a mask, it's like you look even stranger <laughs> to people, right? So it's like, wait, foreigners are wearing masks? So usually I don't wear masks. Um, people, foreigners tend not to wear masks as much. But now it's a new thing. So sometimes I forget, like yesterday, for instance, I'm like, snap, I forgot the mask. So you leave your house and then you remember. So I'm always going out and buying masks, like a pack every time. So yesterday I'm like, I'm not going to buy a pack today, man. I'm like, you know what? I have so many packs at my house. Um, I just put it in my bag or whatever. So when I'm out, I just, if I forget, I just take it out and put it on. But mostly people, they ask people to wear masks now, right? Even though they're open, they're trying to open the country 100%. Um, they ask people to wear masks. Uh, so yeah, most people do. My daughter wear a mask. My wife, uh, myself, when I remember. Um, but yeah, we we do wear masks over here. It's not that unnatural um, because people in Japan always wear masks all the time. Like it's a thing that they do. And people usually see the videos. They're like, why are they wearing masks? I see some. <laughs> I see some comments where people are like, man, these people knew about COVID nineteen from like early twenty nineteen. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, look, this is what they do. This is what they do in Japan. You know, like, if you um, have, like, uh, flu-like symptoms, some people, uh, it's so many reasons. Like, one is women, uh, it makes their faces look smaller. One is, oh, they're not wearing any makeup. They're trying to hide their faces. All sorts of reasons. Some people don't want people to see their, their, their face or their identity or know who they are. So there's so many reasons why people wear masks in Japan. But it's a part of the culture. So to them, it's normal. To foreigners, it's not that normal. So we try to not wear it as much, but... Now I'm starting to wear it because they won't look at me strange. If I don't wear it now, they look at me like, okay, this one foreigner ain't wearing the mask. Like, why aren't you wearing a mask? You know, so it's, a, it's a, flip, a flip side now. Wow. 
context of white supremacy what a year the mask even that just seeing you know the different responses to that around the world and how that's changed i have heard some reports where they've said you know because of what you just talked about how that's kind of a part of the culture there uh wearing masks that that's might be and that's just the theory that might be one explanation or one factor as to why you all have had a lower uh rate of infection whereas there's even been uh, there's still you were saying before there's still a substantial population of people here in the states uh who do not think the rona is real uh who think it's a hoax of some sort there's still a significant population of those folks in addition to uh a substantial population of people who don't want to wear a mask uh either they're just on the you can't tell me what to do and i don't want to do it or i don't believe or whatever but there's a lot of folk a lot of resistance to the mask. it's not a part of the culture so that's been something that's been talked about as talked about as well have you been uh tested uh for COVID 19 uh, no, I've not. I haven't had any symptoms or anything like that. Um, the most that happened, even yesterday, I went to a restaurant actually, and they did um, check my temperature, but I haven't been tested. Uh, but the thing is, a friend of mine, uh, in he lives in New Jersey, he had it right, and there was a. I felt like you know when you feel like to call someone, but I never called him at the time when I felt like that. But when he came out of the hospital, he called me and he's like, "Bro, like I was like I went in the hospital because of COVID nineteen. He said he almost died." Whoa. So he was, so he so he experienced that. So I'm like, snap. So when I felt that vibe to call this guy, he was already in the hospital, right? The man is like, so he's like, look, bro, like this thing is serious. It's a young guy too. So I'm like, look, when he said that to me, this guy's like a brother to me, right? So when he said that to me, I'm like, man, bro, snap, this thing is like serious. He's like, look, bro, like I'm telling you, man. Um, and he just like, you know, broke it down. And I want, I was asking him at the time, at the time, no one was really coming out talking about what it was like. So I wanted to get him on, on, on the channel, but it was concerned about like, you know, like being private, you know, and stuff like that. So that never happened. Um, but like he had a, you know, a story and I wanted to get to the, for him to share what he experienced. Uh, but yeah, so once that was, that hit close to home to me. Right. And some people as well, you know, they tell me that family members have died. So yeah, man. So I haven't been tested because I don't have any of the, any of the symptoms or anything like, anything like that. And even in Japan too, you have to be showing certain things before, um, you know, you can get tested here. I'm not sure if it's this case right now, but that was a case before where if you're not showing this and that and that, you ain't getting tested. Mm. Context of white supremacy. Uh, Ranzo with us operates the Black Experience Japan YouTube channel. Uh, if you have questions, you want to take advantage, get some questions in to folks living over in Japan. Take advantage. Uh, the number is 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six one. We will get you on the switchboard. Get your questions in. Uh, is your daughter? Is she like your daughter? Is she in school right now, or did they close the school down? Is that open back up and all? Or yeah, uh, schools are open. Um, she, yeah, she she doesn't go all the time in terms of the days now. I think because at first when they open open by the school and schools i'm like man i don't know if i want to send her just yet you know i'm like let me just wait and see what happens before you know before mm-hmm. i send her uh, so now she's going today like i think i can't remember what my wife said about the schedule uh, but she goes like only on certain days um during the week um but yeah but most people like uh are going back to school right and my wife she teaches right she, she, got, she has to wear this mask this type of thing i don't know it's like a surgical mask you know the ones with the, the what do you call this thing like a plastic guard that covers like all of your face wow and 
like a sun visor thing that comes down to like your lip or whatever this transparent thing and then she had to ask to wear the mask so it's like it's almost like you're in like a virus type of like like uh city or you know those movies i don't know what oh yeah is, outbreak but, and all yeah 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 they gotta wear that when they're teaching it's crazy um but yeah man it's it's a, it's a crazy year, but yeah, she. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit nervous about that with her going to school because usually, you know, when they go to school, they come back with like, you know, cold and coughs or whatever. You know, I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want to send her during this time, but she's going slowly, getting back into the routine of returning to school. Wow, has it, I? I don't have children myself. I always, you know, acknowledge that, but I mean, wow, I cannot imagine like as stressful and chaotic as this year has been like for parents like wow that's a whole nother layer like to have to think like do i want to send my child there and oh man uh hope everybody stays safe that's kind of a double whammy too because you got your wife she's got to go in and teach like man she's got to wear that whole hazmat gear and i'm sure she's got to have a whole code for coming in and decontaminating when she man woof what a year what a year uh, you know the first thing about that too is that the trains in Tokyo because people talk about all these things but look during rush hour look the trains here are like sardine tins okay like and it's no exaggeration I'm telling you you will be you'll be squished in that train so usually um, you're in the train and even sometimes I try to just use uh, you know like if I'm there I don't want anyone to really like be like bracing upon me too mm-hmm. much so I try to like keep people off, but it's ineffective. You can't do it because there's so many people. And when they come in the train, people push. So there's this thing where you see the train and it's already packed. People are standing right at the door. People still push. I'm like, bro, do you see any space in this train? <laughs> they just you know, push, force their way in. And then you're against the wall and literally your face is plastered against the, uh, against the glass. And even during Corona, um, during like rush hour, it was a lot a little bit less but you still had shoulder to shoulder people on the train still i'm like y'all you think this is like social distancing this is like you're there's no six not even six millimeter between people (laughs) so i'm like i'm like i don't know but yeah but so you know her going to work and different people you gotta go on the train right because you look taxis in this place man are nuts you you cannot if you take a taxi from where i live to where my wife worked where you're looking at maybe i don't know what four hundred dollars us maybe some ridiculous price taxis here ain't cheap (laughs) wow they i don't live in like new york or the places where they have like the big sub crowded more super populated and super crowded public transportation like that but new york and areas like that i can't even imagine like wow like uh I know there's some folks, you know, they don't think the virus exists and, you know, whatever. That's fine. You can have your doubts. That's I had my doubts as well. But even with all that, wow, <laughs> like, I am not interested yeah. in that at all. Won't be interested in that for a long time. Uh, let's see. We'll see if they can nab a caller or two as we roll here. Uh, our caller nine four oh one nine four. Oh, one. If you have a question for Renzo joining us live from Tokyo, Japan, you should be with us. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, good evening, Gus. Uh, good morning. Is it Renzo? Am I saying that right? Renzo? Yeah, Ranzo. Ran. Put it in. So R A N Z O. So like Ranzo. So past tense. Okay, Ranzo. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, are you familiar with the Ainu? 
people in Japan? When you say anime people, what do you, I um, I know anime, but when you say anime people, I'm not sure what you mean. But not, no, anime. not not anime, not 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 anime. I knew A I N U. Yeah, oh yeah, I knew, I know. Yes, I am. Okay, um, can you like uh, I guess talk about them a little bit and tell me how they are treated in Japan? Okay, so just um, a preface, I'm not knowledgeable like deep. Um, I don't have a really deep understanding, so I'm not an expert on the subject matter. But um, from what I know, they are discriminated against in Japan. Um, the population is um, uh, decreasing dramatically. Um, I think it was over the last decade, I think it was, it's re- been reduced by like 50% at least, um, because usually they want them to assimilate. So the Ainu are, uh, they came, I can't remember, they came from somewhere, a different places, so their, their skin tone is a little bit different. They look a little bit different from Japanese, a little bit darker. Um, so uh, the uh, Japanese people, or maybe the Yamato Japanese, like the Japanese people that most of us know about, um, they, the Ainu tend to get discriminated um, because of their culture and all these things. And there's this one guy, actually, I saw a video about him. He's trying to preserve their culture because it seems like most people want them to... Um, so you call them indigenous people so the, the Ainu are like indigenous people within Japan right um, so again they're darker but they do face discrimination and some people try to keep that part of their identity hidden um, because if someone finds out that you are then you're treated differently so they do get discriminated in Japan um, unfortunately yeah, um, thank you for your response that's it uh, no problem much obliged, much obliged. Let's see, retired firefighter in Florida. Did you have a question for Renzo? You should be with us. Uh, greetings, Gus. Greetings uh, to all of the guests and uh, listeners around the world. Uh, Japan, Tokyo, Japan. Uh, I've always... Uh, wanted to uh, get the thoughts of someone either who is Japanese or, in this case, a person who uh, stays in the uh, area about uh, the uh, present day. Is, is, the, is, is there any remnants of the atti- of, uh, attitude of uh, Japan uh, 70 some odd years ago being uh, occupied by uh, white people in this part of the world. Uh, have you witnessed or have uh, saw maybe, maybe there's a statue of Douglas MacArthur. I don't know for sure, but uh, is it any remnants of, of uh, the occupation that took place after the battle that's called World War II that's in Japan? Okay, in terms of like statues and stuff like that, I haven't seen any. But based on based on my my understanding, the system itself has changed. Um, so there's a lot of American influence, um, you know, within the country, the way the country um, has changed and is set up and all that laws, etc. So there's that that remains. Um, but in terms, I don't see, I haven't seen any statues of any, like, you know, um, white people or anything like that across Japan. I don't even hear people talking about even um, the war that much. Only when I was in Okinawa, because Okinawa has um, a large um, American presence, right? There's a, a few bases there. Uh, there's a lot of, so that um, Okinawa 
has uh, is sort of an amalgam of the American culture, the Japanese culture, and the Okinawan culture, right? So all three. It's a unique experience. I actually love it there, actually. Um, and um, but so because there's so many military, uh, a strong military presence there, uh, there sometimes seem to be. Uh, this this sentiment of some people don't really like it. Some people don't want the military there. Um, there was at one point I was there and I saw like nationalists driving around with their like Japanese nationalists with their flags and stuff and um, blaring stuff um, on the streets. Um, but beyond that, like in like mainland Japan, I haven't heard anything. But the system itself and just the way the country's run, from what I've heard, uh, is as a result of um, that time. Someone told me who I can't verify or not, but this person is. Uh, he said he studied this in the university, and apparently, when it comes down to marijuana, for instance. Back in in the day, Japan used to use it for different things. Uh, but when uh, American kind of came over and they were telling them what to change, they uh, made that illegal in in Japan. So before, apparently, that wasn't the case. But that was, uh, I guess, um, a result of what the the war, them losing the war, and them just taking over and telling Japan, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that. So I think it's more so in terms of the system itself has been influenced by that than anything else. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good, good, good answers. Good answers. Uh, one more, one more question. Uh, the science, the science of protesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you think the protesters are? Because I, I, I've heard that the idea in mind is to inform someone. Uh, that's part of it anyway, as far as the, the purpose of protesting who do you think uh in this particular in the particular case around the world going on around the world that uh in let's say in japan are the protesters or who who are they attempting to inform in japan okay so protesters? okay so from what i've heard so usually things that i'm not like directly like a part of i can just talk about conversations i've had uh so the from what I've heard is twofold, right? One is a standard solidarity with people across the world so that black Americans know that people here also support them, right? So they wanted to show support from right, um, we're on the other side of the world, in the Eastern Hemisphere, so we're very, very far away, but we wanted to stand in solidarity and just show people that, you know what, um, we, we support the fight. Um, and then the second one, um, based on what the organizers have said, they wanted also to, uh, open discussion about um, the way black people are treated in Japan um, and just have a discussion about that as well. So it was twofold um, based on what they said, right? They want So one, send in solidarity so people overseas can see that, okay, yes, black people here and other people as well support the struggle, the fight that's taking place in America right now. And they also wanted to uh, maybe just let Japanese people uh, know that, look, man, um, even here you guys got some problems too. So that's what I've heard they, they've said. Okay. Last but not least, uh, how fluent are you in uh, the language? I'm not fluent yet, but I'm on my way. I'm still studying. So I'm almost there. Right on. All right, right on. Much That's ob- it. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter. Did you start uh, learning, studying Japanese uh, before you all got there, or did you, you know, start once you got there, just get the, get with the immersion? You know what happened? Um, I actually, I was so in love with the culture that 
I studied for a year. I went to a language school and I actually studied Japanese for a year. But that was in preparation to go. But the things I never went, I wanted to go the following year, right? But that never happened. It was almost over a decade before I actually made my move to Japan. So when I came to Japan, um, I forgot most. But the thing is, you know, you never really forget a language. There's like things that just linger in your mind. And sometimes I'm like, I know that word. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know the English <laughs> version, but I'm like, I know, I know this word. So it lingers in my mind. So I had to try to like, um, like study more to try to like awaken the the dead words and the dead language i guess in my mind so i did that so that's a part of my story um but people do come here um knowing just very very little japanese even now some people have been here for many many years and they don't speak it uh, some people understand it some people can speak it but they can't read it um or write it um i'm pretty good at like reading i'm pretty good at like writing um japanese I'm still working on to get my my speaking proficiency to the level that it needs to be, but but yeah. So for me, I did study like I went to language school for Japanese Japanese specifically um, for a year before I came to Japan, even though it was a long time ago. Wow. Okay. Dig that. Getting more refined with with language. Uh, has has anti blackness has that been a problem for you? I know you have several videos where t- some of the folks on your channel, uh, Black Experience Japan, uh, talk about some of their anti black experiences that they've had in various countries, uh, Vietnam, China. Has anti blackness been an experience for you? Uh, okay, this is what I've experienced. Um, On the trains, people do get up from beside me sometimes. And the Japanese people try to address, they try to say, well, it's because sometimes foreigners wear strong cologne or sometimes foreigners are too big. Um, so when they sit down, they're squishing us or whatever. And so we've got to get up or whatever. Um, I had that. Um, I've had this one time I was with my daughter and um, we were pushing the stroll. I was pushing the stroll this time I had her. So I was pushing the stroll in the city. And I was trying to go through this uh, the ticket gate at this train station. And this lady saw me coming from a distance with my daughter. She she walked in front um, into the same gate as me. So we met halfway. And she wouldn't move. She would not move. And it was a good day for me, though. I was in a good mood. So it took me a while to get um, <laughs> to, to get to at the place where I'm like, okay, I'm about to mow someone down today. <laughs> but I didn't, though. I didn't. Um, I just, because I'm like, you know what? Not today. Uh, so I kind of, I just forced my way past her. Um, in my mind, I'm just like, I was thinking that, I don't know what it was, but clearly she must have felt that she was better than the black person that st- stood before her. For her to say, well, she has the more uh, right of way to walk through while she seemed with a daughter, a baby, because at the time my daughter was younger. Um, so I, I, I saw that as well. And the thing with the justice system in Japan, from what I've heard and I've interviewed someone about it as well, if you and someone here has an altercation, then, you know, more than likely you will be the person that would face in the brunt of everything, like, right? Because it's like they would, I guess from what I've heard, they tend to side more with the, um, you know, the, the native person here. Um, but so sometimes you get into stuff like that. Me, not really. That was just one um, instance I had. And then maybe this one time I was walking and this dude, I was doing a live stream actually. So this guy was walking with a girl and bum- um, bumped me or whatever. But sometimes you don't know if it's just a person. But for me, I do tend to have like a, I do have a temper a bit. Um, but I try my best to just chill because um, I know that if I go to that level, it's like I got to be willing to just like, you know, just leave right so it's like you got to think about that so i think a lot of people have had stuff like that where you just got to think about okay like are you willing to go the extra mile 
or are you just going to like let this thing slide? Um, so I only had that one with a lady, people get up from me on the train. That hasn't happened in a while. Um, the one dude that bumped into me, I was live streaming as well. So I was on the live stream in the middle of it anyway. So I'm just like, you know what? Let me just, let me just continue what I'm doing. Um, but I did stop. Like I was, I'm like, you know what? Okay. Let me just, let me just calm down. Um, and then, um, the police stopped me twice, but the thing is I can't say anything specific as to where someone called um, yeah, I think I was walking with my wife. I was listening to something, and she said someone was driving by and they shouted the N-word. But I, I, I never heard it because I had something on. But she said, oh, did you hear that? I'm like, oh, I, I never heard it. Um, but I haven't had anything that's direct that I can say, man, this thing here um, has happened to me. But I've witnessed so I've witnessed in South Korea that I was with some people. This one black guy was standing by the door of, of the train, and this, this Korean dude got up, walked up to him, and pushed the guy out of the way cussed him out i guess in korean you know telling him that he can't stand by the door and that was a bit much for me to see that but i don't know if i could hold it together in that like with that type of confrontation um but for me personally one of the things i've listed before i can't say um i can't really say i've experienced any like so i'm trying to think i'm trying to really think um maybe i don't know maybe people just don't want to mess with me too much i don't even know what it is or maybe i don't know i've just met some decent people but i haven't really suffered um really bad with anti-blackness i was stopped twice the second time i was stopped i guess it was i don't know i don't know why i was stopped the second time the first time was caught on camera so everyone's that video got like five hundred thousand views because uh, people saw that from the beginning to the end of that one but the second one they stopped me that was the second one was more so it seemed that the police were fishing for something it seems like they were more suspicious of me the second time versus the first time but i haven't had anything that that has disrupted my way of life or got me really, really um, upset. The only thing about being in Japan or any country in Asia that might be problematic for black people, I think, is that you, in terms of defending yourself, you, that, that might be a problem because it's almost like no matter what you do or what happens to you, you might suffer the consequences. So even if someone instigated something or started something with you and you wanted to defend yourself being like an upstanding citizen, someone who, you know, you're just going about your life, you might get in trouble. So I think that's one thing with Asia that, so people maybe in that sense, I think we walk as foreigners on eggshells here in, in that sense. So in case a crazy person tries to do something, you have to um, know like how to deal with that. So it's something that if anyone wants to come here, if anyone is living here, you have to you have to prepare yourself for that. Okay, like if this happens, what will I do? Um, so I think that's the the biggest thing when it comes down to the justice system. Ninety nine percent conviction rate. Um, so I was talking to a guy yesterday. <clears throat> he has dreads, right? He has dreads, and he said someone just pulled his locks. Like apparently a guy saw him, and the, and this is one thing that happens to us black people. Sometimes some people see you here, like the guys. And because, you know, like black people, we, black men, we represent like masculinity and people see you or whatever. They're like, oh, you know, black people are tough or whatever. People have that, that sense. Uh, so some people want to like test you to see how, um, you, know, you know, like they want to prove themselves, right? So it's like, okay, if I take on a black guy, you know, then it means, you know, I'm, I'm tough or whatever. So this one guy, apparently, um, this guy wanted to do that, wanted to fight the man on the train and like grabbed his locks and pulled it backwards, right? So like pulled it. Um, I was ready to go and the guy said he had to took everything within him to not respond or not defend himself And that's one thing that I can say about being in a in a I'm not I'm not I'm anti-violence of course, but I'm I'm pro defense, right? I'm I'm pro defending yourself um, I'm not the type of person to say do something to someone but I'm like look if someone does something to you defend yourself but in Japan 
it's almost like you can't. Because if you do it, you, look, both of y'all going to go to jail. You're probably going to get deported. You got to probably get to find a good lawyer. And you're going to have to pay like a ton of money as well. Um, for instance, a guy robbed someone, um, a Japanese guy, and a Japanese dude saw him running and tripped him. And the guy that tripped the guy that robbed the girl's purse was also um, like he was implicated or whatever police, I think was arrested or something like that. He, he had to like pay for it. Right. So it's like, even if you feel like you're being a hero, um, you know, don't, don't try to be a hero in Japan or in these countries because you have to pay. So I think that's one of the downsides in terms of the asking about blackness, uh, anti-blackness. Uh, maybe what I've described is anti-blackness. Some of them, I look at it as anti-blackness, like that woman, for instance, um, the train thing, um, but um, anything that really disrupts my way of life, nothing that I've experienced, the police don't really mess with me. Um, I was stopped twice. That was it. And all the time I've been here, I've been here for um, going and entered my fifth year. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a big thing, though. So if you find crazy people who want to test you, that's a problem. Um, because I just hope that never happened to me where someone really tried to push me like that because... I'm just like that. That wouldn't be good because I'm. I'm not about that. Yeah, I probably would get myself in trouble at that point. So that's one thing that black people got to be aware of. You have people that try to test you, and some of them know the law too, and that makes it worse. So they know the law, and because they know it, and say, well, you know, they're going to side with me. They might even push it even further. So I think that's like a big thing about living in this region. Wow. Super appreciate the detail there. In fact, as you were kind of sharing some of the anecdotes and things that have happened to you and some other folks uh, with the train incident, especially with your see that right there. That's why I always emphasize I don't have children, you know, like that's a painful situation, but I can't relate. I don't have children. That's a whole nother layer of anti-blackness and white supremacy racism being a parent and trying to shield your child from all that or just trying to parent within all that but that train situation i think Tanahasi coates has a very similar incident in in his book in between the world and me although his is with a white woman but it's the same type of thing trying to get on the subway and he's got his uh, young child with them and just the rudeness and ah, you and your child don't matter get out of the way ah, type of thing i think yeah. he we read that right in uh, Between the World and Me, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Go back in the book. Reading is super important. Um, you also, uh, before I even get my next question and remind our listeners, we are uh, giving him well wishes and sending Ranzo off uh, with our best for his interview so he can do a great job. Uh, so he will be leaving us in about 20 minutes. So do not lollygag. Go ahead and get your hand up if you have a question uh, that you want to get in, something you think you want to ask. We'll make sure you include Well, you are included. Uh, you on your channel, which I also think is spectacular uh, at Black Experience Japan, you all include a lot of black business owners uh, who are kind of dispersed in various Asian countries. Why do you make that such a, a pivotal focus on your channel? Look, bro, I am pro-black, man. Uh, I, that's the reason I do what I do, right? Because, um, but let me just answer the question before I give the back story. Oh, yeah. I think black businesses need support. I just did. A, um, I built this app recently. Um, it's a really basic app. It's not it's, it's, it does the job. Right. Um, but it's um, I guess I could shout it out. Could I? I don't know if I can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So it's uh, BEJ direct app.com so you go there you download the app you install it on your phone and it connects you with black businesses across asia right and the thing is i'm doing that for free so no one pays me for it i did it for free people can put their, they can go right on it and just drop the business there and then we review it and put it up make sure it's like not um 18 plus etc um but it's there and the thing is i want to promote um black businesses because the thing is i believe in that 
Um, I believe in um, that we need the support as a community. Um, it's funny though because you know one thing that happened with that which I guess this is another discussion. But when I posted it on our Instagram, someone commented and she said, and this really rubs rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, man, this is the mentality mentality that I'm trying to fight. She's saying to me, tell me where. The money goes. She's like, how is supporting a black business business in Asia going to help the black community, et cetera, et cetera. We've got black communities right across, across Asia. And she's saying, are you putting the money in this, putting the money in that? But I'm like, look, if you're going to ask us these questions, I'm like, please ask if you, I told her that if she, if she can answer me, if she asked every single non-black business that she supports that question, where they put their money, where their money goes, then she can ask me that question. I feel like sometimes people put things in their way just to, to prevent themselves from supporting their own. It's like, well, let me find a question. Um, do you do this? I'm like, and I'm pretty sure because most businesses aren't black, unfortunately. And I'm sure there's some service that she uses that is not black owned and she don't send a letter. She don't write on their thing asking them, do y'all support black this, black that? I'm like, come on now. So I'm just saying, I just said that to say just the mindset where I understand that, of course, you want black people to support black things. And I'm all for that. But I'm like, she's already coming out with a negative thing before you say, man, oh, that's cool. Or, oh, how can I support her or something? And then say that afterwards, the very first thing is you saying, nah, nah, hold up. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, as a community, you know, we, we lag behind so much because our own, we always have a problem with something. We always were so critical about our own people than with other people. But anyway, so I said that, but my, the reason why I am trying to promote black business, businesses, and I even have more episodes coming out too, um, with that is because I want to promote them. And the good thing is people reach back out to me and their business start doing really well and stuff like that. They're like, man, even doing COVID-19, this is happening, that's happening. So that's what I'm about. And this, of course, no one pays me for anything. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm about. This is what's in my heart. And so the goal is just to like try to help black businesses, man, in whatever way, shape or form I can. And I think we need the help. So if I have a platform and I can help, so this is all. So I started this black business segment that we're doing now. So we'll be featuring black business, black businesses doing those segments. So that's, that's where my heart is, man. Absolutely love it. That is spectacular. Uh, and unfortunately, and I make sure I get this in, that is a result of white supremacy racism. At least that's my conclusion. Uh, when victims of racism, black people uh, have those type of responses, like where's the money going? Not that those are incorrect questions like to ask, but man, like, do you ask these questions like all the other businesses that you patronize throughout your day, throughout your life? Like we have bought a lot of things, iPhones and sneakers. Like you go to Whole Foods, do you ask them where do they invest? When you get on Southwest Airlines, do you ask them where you invest? Like I've heard that from a... Yeah, you have to ask that question, man. I'm like, there's no way. You have to. I'm like, when I'm like, no, you have to. If you don't do that, if you do that with them, I'm like, cool. But if you if you don't do it with a with a white person or some Asian business or some other businesses, why would you ask a black person that? It's almost like you're finding a reason not to support it. You want to find something why? Okay, let me see why. I don't know, man. But that's something that you know we need to handle, man. We need to handle that. We need to handle it, man. If we, we need to move forward, man, bro. There's so many things, but that's one of them. And I'm all for promoting black businesses, businesses. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, yeah, man. So many stories, bro. <laughs> so many stories. I guess another one real quick. There was um, in Canada, for instance, well, my clientele for some reason, I'm not sure why. Um, but I just think it might just be because we're B2B. Um, it was mostly like, you know, like uh, white people, Asian people. I did have some black clients, but not a lot. 
Um, but even in Japan and other places, for some reason, I'm not sure why this is the case. Let me know if, if you've experienced this in the States where some of the owners, they say to me, man, sometimes, you know, people who you expect to support you, like black people, they don't show up. And they're like, I don't know, man, like, I don't know where the black people are. For some reason, I can count this amount of time on my hands where, you know, some of these people come or that happened or that happened. Why do you think that is? I guess this is probably going to take too much time, but it seems to be a thing where, uh, where black people don't support other black people or black businesses for some reason. I'm not sure why, but it seemed like to be a thing that black businesses suffer from. Mm, we have uh, talked about that before. I just I say again, the system of white supremacy, it has an impact in so many different ways. Like we have heard from some black people. In fact, Carter G. Woodson, he wrote about it in The Miseducation of the Negro. I play that sound clip when we do our weekly program on workplace racism where he talks about because of white supremacy sometimes that there's a lot of jealousy and we get upset about seeing another black person being successful and certainly white people do a lot to sabotage uh, black businesses. Uh, They've been talking a lot about Black Wall Street the past few days and that is a sterling example uh, of white people sabotaging those efforts. But I mean, it's there's so many things uh, they in fact they were talking in Chicago they were talking about the protests and the COVID-19 situation they said in Chicago businesses had invested I think more in one white neighborhood than they did in all of the black neighborhoods in Chicago so they're like there's so many re- I can even for me here in Seattle we have a very low population of black people like less than 10% of the population of Seattle Washington is black uh, but there are black people here. I'm here. There are other folks, even uh, black people that migrated from the continent. There are a lot of different African owned businesses and other black people that have businesses. A lot of times, most of their customers are white people. Now for an environment like this, it would have to be that way. Like, I don't know if they could stay in business if it was just black people, but yes, that is a frustration that we have talked about regularly. And that's why I super appreciate your special effort uh, at promoting black businesses and having your app and making that a central focus with the channel to promote folks and then to hear especially that hey black entrepreneurs are saying hey you got me on black experience japan and we got a boost in sales even during the covid situation and all that so i mean that is that is working against racism right there black self-respect to support black businesses um what uh what I guess what is the plan like you've been there five years basically five years this summer like are you all hanging out indefinitely or you know you going back <laughs> to Jamaica at some point you know people keep um, well you know some people ask the questions not a lot of people ask that question but the thing is look, I'm well I'm always a Jamaican right but um, I actually moved from Jamaica so Canada is not, not my home right so like Canada um, that's that's where um, you know, my daughter daughter was born and stuff like that. Maybe at some point I might go back to Jamaica. But if we move back from uh, from Japan, I'm thinking maybe we spend a season in J- in Jamaica. But the plan is to go back to Canada um, whenever that is. I'm not sure. So I'm saying if we do go back, <laughs> um, Canada would be the place that we, we would return to. Um, but yeah, so in terms of being here right now, we're just um, I guess taking it one day at a time and seeing what happened happens because the plan wasn't to be here this long. To be honest. Um, and the thing is, that's a common story. Like I've interviewed so many people and I had conversations with so many people off camera as well. And people who come here, people tend to come here for a short period of time, one year, two years, and they end up living here for the rest of their lives, like 20 years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, that's Those stories are so common. So it's, uh, it seems like we might have fallen into that same um, thing, I guess, the allure um, of this experience in Japan. Um, you know, has, has caught us, right? It has captivated us in a way where um, we have extended our, you know, our stay uh, in Japan. 
And so I'm not, I can't say when our departure will be, uh, but it's almost like now we have a mission, right? We have this mission that we're on. Um, when I started this thing, I never knew that this thing would have, you know, become what it is today. Uh, but it's one of those things where I just followed my heart and I've been that type of person, right? So, um, I'm just following my heart and the thing that I believe, um, is very close to my heart when it comes on to black people and trying to change the image that the media tries to portray. Um, I think it's something that needs to be done. And thank God we do have, you know, some influence and the reach and attention now where we can actually put some stuff out that can actually connect with people. So I'm appreciative of that. So because that's what we're doing now, um, you know, because look, bro, I left a business in Canada. Like I'm not even joking. Like I left a, a flat, like not even, uh, it was growing, a growing business. We were making money. Um, even the day when I left, even when I came to Japan, we had orders still to fulfill. I'm like, man, I'm like, oh man, like, okay, one year, but you know, I kind of like, I just allowed that business to sort of like die, so to speak, you know, just to uh, continue. And the thing is, I wasn't even, I never even started BG at that point, but I, my plan was to come here for a year. And then, uh, you know, bro, I was doing good. You know, I loved what I was doing. Uh, it was the best. I think it was, it was my first business, actually. And it was the first time. And I realized the difference between working for someone and working for yourself. And I'm like, man, I can never go back to working for, for another person after like seeing what the other side looks like, you know? So I was, I was like, man, so I encourage people to try to like go down that road. I know it's not easy because at the time when I left my job, my had my daughter was uh, literally just born. Like, so she was young. So my parents were like, yo, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You're not a wife. <laughs> you understand? And like, yo, what are you doing, man? But I'm like, man, you know what? I, this job, it was a good job, but man, I, I hated this job. And, um, you know, I made that, I did it and thank God it worked, but I left all that. You know, and came here, and, and I think it was maybe destiny because I think this was more. This is this is more important than whatever it is what I was doing. So that wasn't the plan. The plan was to come here, explore, you know, travel, see what Japan was like, and go back and just do the business and open up a store, blah 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 blah. Um, but uh, that's not the case right now, right? So I just went with it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Right on. That's what you have to do. Sometimes you get those uh, signals from the creator about how you should be using your time and energy. And sometimes you have to have the courage to uh, listen and take heed. Uh, again, we have Mr. Uh, Renzo be with us for about 10 minutes. Uh, we will wish him well for his interview. So if you have a question, 605 313 the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate you talked about <clears throat> that's even i mean wow so you'd be going back to canada not jamaica if you were leaving japan and you said the plan wasn't even to be there for five years and you all have got caught up in the allure uh, and enjoyment of, of being in Japan. Uh, one thing I've noticed also on your channel is is at least the idea uh, to get black people uh, elsewhere, the states or wherever they happen to be to at least consider like venture out like there are other places you could check out, call home, hang out uh, and be able to theme came out a lot in that clip uh, about feeling safer black people feeling safer who are outside in different parts of the world vietnam china that sort of thing uh what has been the allure that has allowed you all to be there for now five indefinitely we'll say uh what has been so cool uh, about your time there for me personally or for me personally right me and my family uh well you got to give us a little of both because yeah you you're a dad you're okay. a, a husband yeah 
Okay. Um, yeah, for us, um, you know, coming out here, uh, the thing is this, Canada, okay, I grew up in Jamaica, right? And Jamaica is a tough country. It's rough. Um, it's a country where um, it's, it's still like, there's a lot of fun. Like Jamaica is a place where you can always have fun, you know, people party and you got that vibe. There's always a vibe. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's a country where um, uh, it's, it's rough, right? Uh, the crime rate is quite high in Jamaica. Uh, when you're on the street, you have to be, you have to have your guard up at all times. If you're on the street, um, you just got to be ready to go like every second. Like you literally cannot relax. The moment you do that, you might get caught up in something. So I know that very well. Um, so th- coming from that type of environment and then moving to Canada, the first thing I noticed with Canada was it's not, you know, this place is, you know, quiet. <laughs> this place is clean. Um, I felt safe even in Canada, right? Because I'm even, um, I would go to like the, what you call the inner city communities. Those would look like, uh, upscale neighborhoods. If it was like Jamaica, I'm like, snap, this isn't what you call a ghetto in Canada. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what's going on here? Um, so I had that feeling, that vibe there. And then when I, so when I came to, so there's similarities between Canada, I believe in Japan. So when I came to Japan, um, Japan was, you know, as clean as Canada, right? It felt as safe as Canada where I was in Canada. Um, so I guess that's not that different, but I feel like in Japan for me and my family, it's a perpetual adventure because it's a new culture altogether. You never, you can't learn everything. There's something new almost every single day to discover, to try. Um, you know, like you can travel to the different prefectures, um, you can try different foods, um, you learn something different, uh, you can travel to other countries around here, it's safe, um, you don't have to worry about, you know, like it's, it's really safe, like you don't hear about people being shot and killed um, anywhere. Um, so you hear some crime, but it's not just some one or two things, but nothing major, man. So it's a place where you feel, if you look in the future, you can say, okay, you know what, I can raise my family here. And I don't have to worry about, you know, something happening to one of them when they're outside. Um, you as a black person, too, you might even live longer, you know, because the fear of being shot by the police or being shot by anyone else or anything like that is not really there. Right. Anything is possible still. But it's like the probability is a lot lower than anywhere else in the world. So it's like when you look at it, you consider all these things, um, the quality of life. You know, if you have if you have a decent job, and usually if you're here and you're working, like the job is at least a little bit decent, uh, so you can you know you can pay your bills. Um, even though even though the taxes are quite high, but at least you can pay your bills, you can live, right? So it's a, it's a place that is comfortable. Um, you have that peace, that serenity. You go to a Japanese garden, man. You the, the it's so quiet. You're looking at the, the the water, the lake, the trees. It's just a beautiful place in terms of that. And the culture is a very rich culture. And so you don't feel like, oh, my God, someone's going to, you know, you're going to lose this. If you leave your door open, you lost something. So all that, all those things combined, it's a place where you feel like, you know, you can raise your family and it's a pretty good place. Right. So I think um, in that sense, of course, you got the dark side of Japan as well, like when it comes down to um, Ijime or like bullying and, and, and different stuff like that that exists within the society. And even some of the things I talk about when it comes down to if you need you know, to defend yourself or if certain things happen like that, there's still all these things and the criminal justice system. Um, there, there are things that need to be worked on. But, but for the most part, if you are a decent human being, you you can live a decent life, a good life, depending, and you're fine. So I think the things that people want for the most part as foreigners, right, because it might be a different experience for the Japanese people, but as foreigners coming out, coming from somewhere else, it represents a different experience. It represents what a lot of people have been looking for. So, 
like um, when I when I interview Black Americans and I talk with them, it's like when they compare the experience of being in America. When it comes down to the probability or the likelihood of being shot or just the way they feel there, when they come here, it's like a weight has been lifted off their shoulders, right? They feel like they're treated more, and even myself as well, as, you know, just, just another person walking the street, for instance. Uh, and, and that's just the way it is. It's usually Japanese foreigners. So whatever foreigner you, you are, that's what it is for the most part. Um, but, of course, you do have some races that may have, some advantages in some areas depending, but for the most part, it's like Japanese and foreigners, but all things considered, it's a decent place to live. You get a job, you're fine. You know, you make a little money to take care of your family. You're safe. You can go out and explore, try some new food, go to somewhere else and visit, go to the onsen. I'm not really into the public onsens because I don't want people to be staring at me or whatever, <laughs> but um, you can do all sorts of things. So I think that's the allure, man. With all those things, what people want, you can get it here for the most part, uh, if it remains like the way it is right now. Uh, let's see. Non-Clemson grad uh, and Missy. Uh, did you all have a question? Uh, yes. Uh, okay, thank you, Scott. Okay, thank you. Yes, um, I've been studying Japanese for about two, um, one and a half, two years myself. I hope to one day go to Japan myself. Though, personally, I do worry about the idea of um, what kind of anti-black racism I might come across. Because um, recently, my wife and I, we went to uh, India about a year and a half ago. And we had a, we had a pretty okay time. Uh, but there were certain situations that were quite questionable. But it seems from what, um, what you've been um, describing so far, um, at least compared to your experience in Jamaica and what you hear coming out of the state, it just basically feels safe is what I'm getting from what you're, uh, from what you're saying. Like, even with all the things you um, understand that's happening in the world, it just, even with all the racism you know that exists, you just feel safe in Japan. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and even this is another thing I just thought, thought about as well. You know when you go to a store, because look, my parents live in the States, my brother is in the States, my brother's in the university in the States, I'm on a, I got family, I spend time in the States too. Um, but so what I'm saying is that, you know, the vibe, the feeling you get when you go to a store and you feel like people might be watching you or when you're buying something, you might, you want to make sure that you leave with something because you don't want someone to think you're shoplifting or whatever. In Japan, that doesn't, look, look, you go into a cab, you go to a store, people give you jewelry to try on right there. You go and you take up whatever you walk around in the store with something no one is going to watch you no one is going to walk behind you like bro like all those things that we're used to from the west like it doesn't happen here i've heard like maybe one guy said someone was watching him at one point but for the the vast majority you can just walk around in the most expensive store you go into whatever store name brand you want you ask for shoes to try on people just they just deal with you just as a customer there's no hey can you afford that hey no there's nothing like that like i've never experienced that you can walk in as i said go wherever you want to go you're cool um, for the most part, right? So all those things, you don't get that vibe. You don't feel like, man, I got to like prove that, okay, I can afford this or, oh, are they going to think I'm going to try to like, are they uh, thinking that I'm going to try to rob this or steal this or whatever? I've never felt that vibe here. So that's one thing you feel as you should feel. All the things that people want to feel, you feel that when you're here. Um, so that's a good thing. Okay, that's interesting. Um, how about this? Um um, let's see, you know, obviously you've been there for about five years, you say, 
almost five years, and you're out well, to be someplace for five years means you have to be working. And um, I think you said something along the lines of, you know, African-Americans in particular, I mean, if they could afford to make such a trip, that they should definitely try to travel more. So let's assume that, you know, black people hear something, um, some of the stuff that you're saying, and they decide to themselves, they want to move to Japan. Is it reasonable for them to uh, expect to come to Japan and be able to make a life there? For example, to be able to get a job and raise a family. Like, for example, um, I have a, um, degrees in engineering and um, urban planning, but, you mm-hmm. know, suppose someone who doesn't have a degree, if they come over there, can they make a living? Okay. Uh, so this is not just for African Americans, um, just people over black, black people overall that want to come if they want to come. The thing with Japan is there are different ways to get to Japan, right? But one of the biggest things, a degree and associates at the minimum, uh, for most jobs, people have secured jobs in Japan without degrees, but that's not the norm. Uh, but the easiest way, as you said, right? And, and the rea- reality is, um, well, they're trying to do this thing to get more low-skilled workers, but I'm not sure how that's going. And uh, from what I've, I've heard, they, they're trying to get more Asian-type um, people for those positions. Um, from what I've heard, um, don't quote me, but um, I know there's some talk about some low-skilled workers, right? And the Japanese people might, aren't really for it for various reasons. They feel like they might abuse them, etc. But most jobs here, a degree is required. Um, English teaching, for instance, the minimum is an associate's degree. Uh, mostly, most people have a, at least a bachelor's degree. Um, so that usually is if you want to come here to, to live, right? So if you want to work, that's the easiest way. Uh, some people can also come as a student, right? You can come and study Japanese if you want. It might be a little bit easier um, to do that. We have some videos coming out that will you know, give people some information. Uh, but so like if you come as a student, um, that's another way as well. But that's the thing. If you're an American, you can come here for three months. And just um, like you know, explore the country. Uh, so uh, I've heard st- the, the, the thing is the degree part is like the biggest hurdle I think for people because some people do reach out and they're asking me uh, if they can come without it. The thing is, I believe anything is possible, right? So someone could travel to Japan if they want to experience it for three months. If you if you have like an American passport or maybe a Canadian passport or some other passport like that, you can come here. For three months, you can see what it's like. Come with a little money. You know, maybe you can try to connect with some people. Try to reach out to some p- uh, jobs, apply or whatever, and see what might happen. Because it's usually easier sometimes um, if you can con- connect with people inside the country than outside the country. Um, but as you said, to live, it might be a little bit more challenging. It's possible because I know people here who have done it, but they came as, as entertainers, right? And usually it's a company that's sent for them. Um, right, so a company would say, "Okay, I want you to be like a dance instructor, or I want you to be, you know, this type of person, something in the arts," and then that's a way into Japan. But the fact of the matter is, um, if you don't have a degree um, and you're coming by yourself, it's really, really hard uh, to make the transition into being here uh, long term without that. So that's that's the reality right now, though. That's that's the only thing. In terms of making a life, as you said, it's possible for people to make a life if you if you have a job in Japan, like if you get any job um, as a foreigner, uh, you can make a life, right? You you get a place, you it's fine, it's expensive, but you make enough money, I believe, um, to just to live a decent life and you don't have to suffer and struggle um, like some other place in the world. That answered your question, uh, non-Clemson grad, yes? 
Yeah, that is my question. Thank you very much. Awesome. I have no problem. Yeah, I know it's a big thing, man, with a degree. I know it's a big thing, but um, yeah, that's that's the reality, right? Uh, it's possible, associates at the minimum, but I know a lot of people reach out there saying, I don't have this, I don't have that. How can I do it? Um, there might be ways, and I know there are ways, um, but it's not something that's, I guess, really publicized, or I'm not sure of any direct channels. But I would say to people, still just, you know, travel, man. If you can come over here, um, just visit and see what it's like, see how you feel. And maybe, you know, you might get lucky. You never know. The YouTube channel, The Black Experience Japan. Uh, go check it out and subscribe if you are thinking uh, about relocating or at least visiting. Maybe you're not even thinking about moving permanently, but at least visiting and doing some traveling. Once all this settles down, you can visit the channel get information if you're thinking about relocating lots of information if you have questions and what have you check it out post i'm sure some folks will respond but uh the black experience japan ran by our guest ranzo thoroughly enjoyed having you as a guest on the program uh we will wish you great fortune uh at your interview coming up in a few minutes i'm sure it will work out well and uh keep up the spectacular work your focus on black businesses uh just thankful we could have you on the broadcast this morning sir thank you so much for having me man i appreciate it for sure uh take excellent care and we will speak soon sir sayonara all right kiss good day bye context of white supremacy frenzo Make sure you subscribe uh, the Black Experience Japan. Subscribe. Check out the videos. Like I said, they have videos on uh, the protest march. Sorry, march. Uh, that words are important. Uh, the march that took place uh, this past weekend. Uh, how they're dealing with COVID nineteen uh, on that side of the world. Uh, racism in general, anti blackness. Uh, check out the channel, the Black Experience Japan. Subscribe. Oh, wow. Uh, we will be here uh, tomorrow for the book club, Tanahasi Coates. Sorry, I got Tanahasi Coates on the brain. Mentioned him uh, earlier. I'm going to have to double check to make sure that I'm I was correct uh, with my assessment. I think there is a incident because it's been like five years since we read Between the World and Me. But I think it's an exact incident where he's on the train in New York and some race soldier like shoves him or is rude when he has his child with him. Anyway, we will be here tomorrow not reading Ta-Nehisi Coates. We'll be, uh, be reading uh, Fred Jerome and Roger Taylor's Einstein on Race and Racism. Uh, this is a book Dr. Welsing uh, recommended specifically, I think in 2014. She was on, on this program like she recommended it specifically. And it's within the broader framework of her recommending that we study Nazi Germany. Uh, this book is basically a compilation of Albert Einstein's uh, like letters, commentary, uh, talking to like his contemporaries, uh, his thoughts on white supremacy racism. Uh, like it talks about the relationship that he had with W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, the relationship that he had with Paul Robeson. Uh, there are even pictures of them together. We just read uh, the biography, uh, Dr. Gerald Horn's uh, biography on Paul Robeson. Uh, but these, uh, one of them is black, one of them is white. So I believe it's uh, Roger Taylor is black male, co-author of this book, and Fred Jerome, white male, co-author. Um, 
but I believe uh, they have like photographs of uh, Paul Robeson and Albert Einstein uh, together and I think uh, that they talk about the reason that they put this book together was that this type of material uh, like what Albert Einstein had to say about racism uh, and his comparisons to Nazi Germany uh, and it, like him, his relationship to Paul Robeson, his uh, relationship to W.E.B. Du Bois, that all of this is uh, what is it, redacted from the typical biographies and commentary on Albert Einstein. Uh, and I think uh, the white author, co-author, uh, Fred Jerome, I think... Uh, that he had written and done other work on Einstein and when he started coming in contact with this material he was stunned like whoa what's going on here Uh, and the other immediate question is why hasn't this been included like why would this be left out because he said there's so many biographies and papers on Albert Einstein he's one of their revered white scientists why wouldn't this be included uh, when people talk about his legacy and his life and what he did Uh, especially like Paul Robeson like these are not you know shiftless nobodies Uh, and so and then he goes on this is the white co-author he goes on to say that he started to try to get this information published like before he had the book he started doing like little articles and such on you know what Einstein had to say about racism and his uh, connection to W.E.B. Du Bois and he said that he would submit it you know to be published and he wouldn't hear anything and then he said other times people would respond be like oh yeah yeah we don't we don't dig all that up you know just riled everybody up and cause a big fuss and all. <laughs> uh, he said that kept happening like hey like what do you mean like this is important like this is one of our one of the most revered scientists in the world certainly of the 20th century like why would we be leaving this out if he had and he had so many things it's not like he just made one comment about racism like he talked about it and talked about it and talked about it and you know talking to W.E.B. Dubois and Paul Robeson and all these for like you know why would this be left out deliberately left out can't forget that word deliberately redacted why would that and systematically like not just in one biography they don't mention it but like across the board why would this be unilaterally left out of the body of study on this man the system of white supremacy but again Dr. Welsing told us directly on the program I'm trying to go back and make sure I get that sound clip directly because she had you know quite a bit to say about this book specifically and said oh yeah you should read it you should read it reading is more important than watching television I'm pretty sure she slipped that quote in too Uh, but that's the book we'll be reading I know I'd said last week we were going to do Dr. Huey P. Newton's revolutionary suicide which was the plan but retired retired firefighter scared me so uh, when he said that uh, this book they uh, they used to read it and it was required and uh, that he thought it came out was published around the same time the 1980s uh, when he was a member of the African Liberation Army and they were running around talking about how dumb and stupid and ignorant white people were uh, it frightened me so uh, that I said oh no we can't have another month or, or two months of that like I would <laughs> go loony uh, and so I, I do want to be very clear I did uh, begin going through uh, and reading to see if that was the case and I don't think that's the case I didn't see any commentary about dumb white people stupid white people nutritional Uncle Tom's none of that uh, but 
our narrator, Mel, she read uh, the autobiography uh, for Sada Shakur. Uh, she read Neil Postman's Stupid Talk, Crazy Talk. Uh, she was all set to go. I think she had even read like the first three or four chapters of uh, Revolutionary Suicide, which is important. She had already read the first three or four chapters uh, of Dr. Newton's work, which is what we were going to go with. But I gave her that book because I was thinking of, of that book, uh, Einstein on Race and Racism and William Darity's Sugar Blues, which was referenced in Dr. Africa's book. And we had already done a book review of that book before. We just didn't do it in the book club. So I gave her all three and I said, you pick which one you think would be most important for what is happening right now, June 2020, middle of the protests and the coronavirus. After reading those first, I think, four chapters or so of Dr. Newton's book, she said, this reminds me quite a bit of Asada Shakur's autobiography, which she narrated. Uh, I think, you know, this doesn't seem unfamiliar for people like if you've been in the book club or if you've been studying racism, white supremacy this period of time, like a lot of this information isn't like strange. Uh, You'll get a lot more detail about Dr. Newton specifically and, you know, how he arrived at this conclusion, his childhood and life experiences. So if you want more details on him specifically, she was saying, especially the first portion of the book, that's what a lot of it's about. But it doesn't seem like it would be totally new. Uh, She said she was very hooked with the Einstein on race and racism. And she just heard Dr. Welsing remind us that we should read this book specifically. So she was all in, especially when she got some of the correspondence between he and Dr. Uh, Dubois and Paul Robeson. So, yeah. And in fact, there is a C-SPAN video with the co-authors, Fred Jerome and Roger Taylor, where they're talking about the book, and it's fascinating, just going into some of the details. Uh, In fact, I can give you one snippet. They, uh, W.E.B. Dubois, this is in the 1950s, was apparently arrested, George, uh, George Floyd style. He was arrested, and they were, they hauled him into court, forgot what the charge was being some sort of outside agitator I think that was pretty close to it said he was an outside agitator type person so they haul him into court he's I think 87 at the time that they haul him into court and so uh, Albert Einstein is going to testify on behalf of Dr. Dubois and they the uh, defense attorney for Dr. Dubois makes this known to the judge that Albert Einstein is going to be uh, witness for the defense and they find this out and dismiss the charges powerful white man but I was hooked like even before it got to that point I was like wow this is such a fascinating book I can see the grandsister the grandsister I can see why she would say oh yeah you should get that there book Einstein on race and racism I don't think well I don't know I don't know if it's very difficult to get or not I got it uh, but it's only because I had that book like I had it years ago I got it when she said it even though I didn't read it immediately when she mentioned it but I still had it from when I got it years ago so I don't know uh, you know if the libraries are open or what the deal is it shouldn't be too too hard to find I don't think you know, they did a report on C-SPAN. It's not like obscure literature, but uh, the C-SPAN video I did post online, social media and what have you. You can check it out. You can just put in Einstein on race C-SPAN and it'll pop up. It's like an hour. It's very interesting. And I am looking forward to the book starting at tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I'll check in to see if folks have any uh, thoughts about our guest, Renzo, joining us live from Japan. Uh, I just want to point out 
I thought it was very important uh, what he said. The black business component, super critical. He has a lot of content. You can go to Black Experience Japan on YouTube and you'll see the content on black businesses. And he does a lot of great work uh, promoting uh, black entrepreneurs, not just in Japan, but throughout uh, so-called Asian countries. Check it out. Black Experience Japan. But I thought what he said was really important about those protests where he said it seemed like the only real gripe about the or march sorry it's not a protest it is a march not a protest a march so it seemed that the only real gripe about the march was that uh the virus that folks over there are taking the virus serious and they just had the shutdown and uh they're saying japan is in a recession so uh they did not want this to disrupt anything or to cause any future problems he said in that vein of thinking that if it looks like they do have some sort of second wave or anything like that, it could be where they end up, you know, blaming the protesters. And he said blaming black people specifically, which I thought was important because he had already said there aren't really a lot of black people uh, in Japan. It's pretty homogenous society, as they say. And as he said, and as the video, it's not just as he said, the video, uh, it's like two hours uh, of streaming footage that he has. You can go check it out. Uh, it was mostly non-black people at the protest. It's not like, you know, they imported O.J. Simpson and a whole lot of black folks from Nigeria and the U.S. to come over there and get rowdy and chant slogans. These were non-black. I guess most of them would have probably had to be Japanese people. I don't think it was a whole lot of white people. I did see some, but uh, would have probably had to be a lot of so-called Asian people uh, out there marching. But if this, you know, ends up causing a second wave or a spike and the virus gets out of control and we have to lock things down again, man, black people messed everything up for everybody. Like they always <sighs> global system of racism, white supremacy. But I thought that was important because I said the same thing could happen here. They end up saying, Oh man, we got a second wave and it's the niggers fault that George Floyd even dead niggers causing us all this prop I could see that happening having what they call it a racist backlash oh yeah I could see that happening anywho uh, folks have any uh, thoughts that they would like to share questions uh, feel free global system of racism always think it's important we have our global Sunday talk this coming weekend this Sunday think it is super important uh, to be able to check in with black people or just non-white people period uh, around the world to get more information uh, about the COVID-19 situation, about racism in general. Very important to be able to exchange views. Uh, folks have anything they want to make sure they get in? Yes, sir. Can I be here? Uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Yes, sir. Uh, I would participate with I try to anyway, with any uh, book reading that we have. But uh, I don't recall stating that uh, about Huey Newton, that uh, he uh, was uh, saying that white people were dumb and, and uh, you know, that sort of thing. I don't recall me saying that. Oh, you didn't. You didn't. Uh, I, I, oh, Okay. I did. I said I did say I read the book, you know, but I can't remember a lot. And I was I was preparing for it by uh, re, you know, doing some reading on it. And just like I think I heard you say that, uh, uh, basically, what it is is his autobiography, and he's also uh, 
was Mitchell was uh, espousing some of his uh, philosophical thoughts, you know, or that sort of thing. And uh, that's about it. But uh, yeah, the, the book, the book with uh, that Dr. Welsing recommended, that's that's cool with me. I'm looking forward to it. I just don't have it, <laughs> but but uh, I would uh, you know participate with it. Yeah. I was just thinking because I do I do say a lot of things that I sometimes forget. But I about the thing I was thinking to myself. I, I don't recall stating that. But anyway, yes, thank you. You you are correct. Retired firefighter. He did not say that there is any mention of white people being stupid and ignorant in Doctor Newton's work. He did not say that. Uh, he just said that it was uh, published uh, around the 1980s, around a similar time period. Uh, as I said, when he was doing some of his white people are stupid and antics rhetoric of that time period that we just read. Uh, he said it was published in the same time period. And I said that alone was enough to have me a little frightened. Like, uh oh, I hope that rhetoric is not going <laughs> to be in the book. And I, just as he said, it is. No, not- he, he uh, I, I like it from the standpoint of, you know, if, you, if one likes to read autobiographies and whatnot, he was basically talking about Huey P. Newton. That's what he was talking about for the most part, you know, so far that I've read, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, it, it would, it would, it would, it would be an easy quote unquote, easy read, you know, when, when you got something like autobiography person is talking about themselves, you know, and, uh, but I also, I agree with Mr. Fuller. I think I've heard him say that, you know, a lot of times, even with autobiographies, they, they're not accurate. They're not necessarily accurate all the time, you know, so, you know, take it as that. But uh, anyway, I think the other book probably more scientific uh, in regards to uh, what your program is designed to uh, to do. So I'm cool with it. I would have I think I would have enjoyed Dr. Newton's book. Um I don't think I would have griped. It's, you know, pretty much what he said, I think, just kind of going over his his life and times and how he arrived at some of his theories on racism and all that. Like it seemed like it would have probably been constructive. So, nothing bad to say about that work. Yeah. Uh the the only reason for the switch and really I think the reason for the switch is uh, Dr. Welsing did recommend this book specifically. That was why I brought it up, you know, to begin I- with. And uh, I recall her saying it. Yeah. <laughs> I recall her saying it. She she mentioned it specifically by name, author, and she had quite a bit of enthusiasm about saying, you know, we should. I, I'm gonna have to make sure I go back and find that snippet because I thought it was. That's how I got the book. That's how I know about it. She mentioned it specifically, and I went and you know got it. I just was too lazy to read it immediately. But um, that was so that was one. And then, uh, well, okay, so several Two, She had already said study Nazi Germany. Uh, Einstein had come here right after uh, leaving Berlin fleeing. And she used to mention that all the time. Dr. Welsing did that. He had all this genius, but he didn't focus that genius on the problem, the system of white supremacy, racism. And he almost died, had to run for his life to get away from Hitler's Germany. So she always mentioned that. So that's two. She said study Nazi Germany. This would be a good time because it seems like there are a lot of parallels. She said in state white supremacy uh fascism in stage white supremacy that was what she said three this is kind of novel like i think you know we have written we've had programs on the black panther party before and all of that i don't think we have done any programs on albert einstein even though he's such a you know lauded figure and discussed pretty regularly um 
So it's a tad novel and particularly even beyond that, like I think most of the, the according to the authors, most of the conversations on Einstein are not about his views on racism. So yeah, this will be novel in a lot of approaches. Uh, he's still a suspected racist, as I have seen reports about, you know, different things that he allegedly did or said uh, that were racist. So still a suspected racist. But all of this will be novel. Uh, be the first that I've heard of it. Like if you had told me Albert Einstein, did, did Albert Einstein and Paul Robeson hang out together? Uh, I would have probably not been thinking that. Or did Albert Einstein come to testify or agree to testify on behalf of W.E.B. Dubois? Like I would, or at least I would have been ignorant about all of that. So hopefully after we read this book, we won't be ignorant. We'll see if we can help use that, incorporate that in how we go about solving this problem. Uh, any other comments folks have uh, what they heard from my guest uh, black experience in Japan uh, the operator Ranzo just hung out with us yes my, my question my questions my question to him about the uh, the occupation uh, is for my own understanding to see whether or not on how he would answer it uh, in, in reference to uh, you know, a lot of places where the white supremacists have been, including Japan, <laughs> that they, uh, they leave statues and, you know, the different remnants of, uh, of their, uh, power. Uh, and, uh, I see to whereas based on his answers that he, that he said that they weren't, but I would say probably that, that example it wasn't in statues, but but uh, it's probably was is in the uh, reconstruction of Japan. As far as some people say, Japan looks like New York or something, you know, something like that, you know. And I do I do know that that white male by the name of uh, <clears throat> Douglas MacArthur, who ruled for about maybe five or six years, I think, uh, just almost totally renovated. Uh, Japan to make it look like a place where white people stay at during that period of time. Mm. I have never been to uh, Japan or anywhere in the Eastern Hemisphere uh, for that matter. Hawaii is as close as I've gotten, but uh, I am sure, and I've heard that before, uh, the critique that he just raised. I have been to New York uh, that uh, at least parts of Japan look similar to New York in terms of the architecture and the design, that sort of thing. Um, the influence of white supremacy racism takes a lot of different forms. He even said that. I think he said some of the areas that are closer to where some of the military bases are, you can see more of uh, that influence. So, yeah, and that that's in Hawaii, too. You can see where, oh, the military bases. Yes, the military might uh, of white supremacy racism is uh, ubiquitous. Um, but I, I will say his comments about, uh, feeling safer, I guess, um, that's, you know, not to be minimized. And I suspect, uh, I, I wish I had got this in cause I had that down. Now he lives in Tokyo. Now he said, that's, you know, big Matt talk about New York, big, massive city and millions of people piled up on top of each other. Candon like sardines in the, uh, in the subway on the train and such, he said. If you're out in the more rural areas, 
I suspect that's a totally different experience. Like, I wish I had got that in. Like, what is rural Japan like? You know, when you're hanging out, it's quiet. You don't have all those skyscrapers and taxis and traffic and noise and all the rest of it. Like, what is that experience like where you can just go out and peaceful? you know whatever living the I, like you know I'd be curious about that but I'm I'm sure that is a substantial impact that might that might be like a part of the allure that he talked about where you can because I think he said that you can just have a safe life you can have a high quality of life you're safe I've been asking that about universal health care too. had those down on my list and just didn't get it in but um, to just be able to be safe probably got pretty good schools and such seems like they're taking the Rona uh, somewhat seriously he said his wife she teaches in school and she's got a whole hazmat uniform that she's got to wear uh, and masks and all the rest of it so uh, I can see that if it's you know feeling as though there's less of a threat of imminent violence uh, against you like you're not going to be accosted you don't have to feel like if you go out a random white person is going to you know do you some harm or enforcement officers are going to stop and molest you and take an hour out of your day and all the rest of it I can totally see how wow like uh, massive improvement like even if I get a few odd looks from time to time and you know they don't want to sit next to me on the train and you know whatever else little inconvenient anti-blackness I was going to say inconveniences don't minimize uh, other instances of anti-blackness even with that wow this is safer. He said that's what this is a safer environment. I enjoy it. He talked about all the, you know, the architecture and you can go out in the Japanese gardens and all that. But I mean, that's a, they have Japanese gardens here. They got those right in the city where I live at. You come to Seattle, we can go to the, uh, the Japanese gardens. It's right in the middle of Seattle, right where they, matter of fact, you could walk to it from where they're protesting. I'm sure it's a substantially different experience being at the Japanese gardens in Seattle being at the Japanese garden in Tokyo or particularly out in rural Japan uh, let's see any other folks uh, any other thoughts what they heard from Ranzo joining us from Tokyo one one last uh, insight uh, well two that I got from Mr. Fuller uh, about, about his experiences with Japan uh, when he went, I think it was in the 1950s, and he mentioned about how kind uh, the people were. Uh, he didn't know the language or anything, and some Japanese guy was carrying around his luggage, <laughs> you know, <laughs> taking him where he needed to go, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, one last thing uh, that Mr. Fuller brought to my understanding is that Everywhere the white supremacists go, in terms of negotiating or some sort of big time, big time business deal, the non-white, the non-white group of that so-called uh, powerful meeting and whatnot, they're wearing they're wearing the custom customized clothing of white people or it would written be written in the books the western world with suits and ties they're not wearing their traditional wear which in my mind is it's a sign of is a sign of power when you when you uh, are in a powerful meeting making some sort of important decision and you're wearing the outfit or the clothing 
of the victor. And in this case, it's the, uh, I look at it as the understanding of racism and white supremacy. Yep. Yep. Global system. Global system. Um, Mr. Fuller did talk quite a bit about his, that, <laughs> I think that's probably how he got some of his understanding of global system of white supremacy racism it's nowhere to run uh, when you go overseas and you see that type of thing when you're in a whole your other side of the planet and you see that sort of thing now you start to get a better grasp of what do we mean when we say ra- now you start to understand the incorrectness of segregation and integration and all that like this is something way beyond like the normal way that we conceptualize this problem global system of racism and the COVID situation that has been global that is one thing like man the context of white supremacy uh, almost inadvertently has done quite a public uh, service uh, I think unless the Rona is fake and that should be real low at this point like the number of places that we have taught or people that we have talked to in different locations around the planet so now we have China Austria South Korea London, Brazil, Canada, Norway, Japan, nobody thinks the Rona is fake. I'll say again for all of the folks who have some question, suspicion, yes, white people lie about all kinds of things, anything really. That is totally different from the Rona is fake and all of this is made up for all of the people who have taken that position that's fine there's victims guaranteed qualified for that too but it would be you would have to have astronomical evidence like wow quadruple like whoa checked (laughs) like I mean super super verified and an explanation of what all of this is particularly when you keep hearing individuals Ranzo when he says oh man I had a friend who died in New Jersey like man or excuse me thank goodness he did not die he did not die but he said he was sick he said he thought he could have died take this seriously that was what he said his friend in New Jersey and then retired firefighter who's had several times unfortunately where he's dialed in to talk about uh, former teammates and people that he knew uh, who have passed away like man take this Seriously, I think he even said the folks in Japan were upset that they didn't take this seriously sooner <laughs> that the uh, Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe that he might be in trouble. Uh, they call it the uh, lame duck. That's the term that they used uh, Shinzo Abe because didn't take this seriously soon enough sitting there fumbling around trying to see if we can preserve the Olympics and folks are mad. Let the Rona run loose take this seriously he even said he was wearing his mask uh ranzo did i don't know if they have the mandatory i don't remember if he said it was mandatory or not but he did say he was wearing his mask and in fact he said if he forgot uh he would go ahead and just buy you know an extra one while he's out and about that i think is logical like super logical uh until we have extraordinarily extraordinary and quadruple checked evidence to the contrary Anywho, uh, we will check in with our Global Sunday Talk uh, folks this coming Sunday. Again, time earlier in the day, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific. 
uh, looking forward to him because this will be our first time talking to them since the protests and everything because they've been doing all that you know in lots of places uh, Japan and London and all over so it'll be good to check in with them to kind of see what's transpired with that especially because in a lot of these other places it's going to be more of what you heard from Renzo they're protesting but it's not black people out protesting just like in the states uh, here in Seattle it's not mostly black people uh, out in the streets that has not been the case at any time they were protesting right down the road in Bellevue here too that was not mostly black people that was a lot of white people or non-black people look like a lot of white people uh, to me so it'll probably be more of that as you know, we hear from people who are in other parts of the world. I'm not sure how that will impact uh, people's thoughts about, you know, the marches, protests or what have you. That should be factored in. Uh, these protests is not like every time out. We're talking about a whole lot of black people who look like, you know, Chris Rock and Beyonce and Lupita Nyong'o. It's not like that's what we're talking about uh, every time it's protest. A lot of these it's like we're talking, you know, Tom Cruise and Justin Bieber looking type folks like uh, all right (laughs) if you think that's having these folks out yelling in the street that you know down with the establishment and you know no justice no peace hands up don't shoot they even resurrected that one all right VGQ but we will check in this coming Sunday I am excited Uh, and to hear you know the evolution what they're doing with the Rona and you know all that but that'll be Sunday uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific. We will have a white person, Dr. Martin Kavorkian, back with us uh, on Monday. The list of films The Hate You Give revisit, even though we read the book, but The Hate You Give film, since that has been talked about a lot uh, this month, and folks saying you want to, you know, have a film where you can share and talk to your child about racism and what the protests that are happening. The hate you give, Angie Thomas. Oh, what a great book! So that's one. Two Terminator Dark Fate, I think just came out. Dr. Kevorkian's book, Color Monitors, is all about the Terminator and that series as a representation of white supremacy racism. Uh, so I thought we should at least spend a moment on the latest uh, installment. Number three. Breaking to the electric boogaloo. I just met, I should be a cowbell right there. I have my notes up for Black Experience Japan. Uh, but Breaking to electric boogaloo has been mentioned a lot the past month when they describe the white supremacist violence that has been taking place. They are often attributed to uh, far right groups and Antifa, the Proud Boys the boogaloo that is what they they got the boogaloo boys and then they also use it as the boogaloo meaning the moment when they have some sort of government failure and a clash in the street and the niggers I guess get out of control and they get to get their guns and go out and boom do it to it Uh, but that movie has been referenced a lot and I mean like in a lot of different mainstream reports and what have you NPR Washington Post uh, where they'll talk about all this it's oh yeah the boogaloo you know it goes back to this music form 1960s and then this film that came out in the 80s blah 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 and all that so I said let's watch this film why would they pick this term and why would they keep associating with this uh, movie should be a cowbell there as well Uh, and then the last one I'm disgruntled uh, about this election, but I'm only including it because uh, Dr. Kevorkian and I, we had talked about Black Mirror before, uh, and I did see 
uh, this episode. Uh, I thought it would be relevant just to make sure we get a word on it. Uh, the Black Mirror Season 5 Striking Vipers episode. We're not even doing the full season, just the one episode, Striking Vipers. Uh, we'll discuss that one episode, and those will be our four, uh, I guess, media presentations, uh, since they're not all films. Uh, for Monday, Monday, June 22nd, Dr. Kovorkian will be with us, admitted white supremacist. Uh, this is not just time to sit and chat about movies. These films were picked specifically because of what is happening right now. The Hate You Give, Terminator, Dark Fate, Black Mirror, the episode uh, from Season 5, Striking Vipers, that episode only, and Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Those are the four media presentations if you want to uh, do some homework, check them out in advance. You could have some questions uh, ready to roll. Uh, Dr. Kevorkian should be in the archives. He's been on the program many, many, many times over the years, all the way back to 2009 when we got back on the air. He was right there. We talked in detail about his book, uh, Color Monitors, The Black Face of Technology in America, uh, where he breaks down the white supremacist component uh, to films the Terminator that's one of the main ones kind of the main crux of, of his thesis the Terminator uh, the Matrix that was another reason that reminded me of Dr. Kevorkian they're supposed to be making uh, a fourth installment of the Matrix it's supposed to be one of the big summer blockbusters for 2021 if we survive the Rona uh, but I saw this like oh wow Dr. Kevorkian we talked about the Matrix and that's a big you know thesis in his book and how that film represents white supremacy racism uh, I forgot some of those are the main two films, uh, the Matrix series and the Terminator franchise, those two. Uh, and then he goes over some others as well. But he's been with us a number of times over the years. We even in fact, we did a book review of Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, my favorite book all time. I've been thinking about this book, uh, that book this week. A listener reminded me I had forgotten, reminded me the Invisible Man does such a. <laughs> amazing job uh, in terms of the scope and, and breadth of how it addresses white supremacy there is a police killing of a black male in the book that's pretty much close to the climax or the climax of the text and then the subsequent riot unlike real life they actually do steal a police horse in Invisible Man I cracked up laughing like uh being reminded of that like doesn't that actually happen in Invisible Man where he steals a horse didn't that actually happen like, yes they stole the horse woo anywho uh, lots will be here so every day uh, from now until Monday will be on the air hopefully constructive and not wasting folks uh, time and energy uh, everybody satisfied anything else they need to make sure they get in before we call it a broadcast We'll assume folks are satisfied. Uh, we'll be on every day. New book tomorrow. Einstein on race and racism. Hoping that that will be a constructive read. Although it looks like it will be. I'm you know excited. Uh, neutralizing workplace racism on Friday. Uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. 5 p.m. Pacific. Compensatory call in this coming Saturday. 9 p.m. Eastern. 10 p.m. Pacific. And then 
Oh, the Global Sunday Talk. Yes, just made sure to mention that. That is early. Again, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific. And then we'll be back to normal time for Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. So every day from now until next Monday, uh, normal times for all the broadcasts. Uh, just Sunday will be on a little bit earlier so we can uh, make it easy for our folks uh, on the other side of the planet uh, to join us but uh, hopefully constructive uh, you can share the content let folks know we are broadcasting if you think it would benefit their understanding of white supremacy racism uh, drop an email if you have any questions comments uh, we will be doing the cows counter racist yoga retreat Washington DC forgot make sure we get that in or we will attempt we'll have to see make sure we don't you know get any crazy surprises between now and August 5 through August 9th uh, but those are the dates August 5th through the 9th uh, Washington DC will do yoga I have our counter racist workshops we'll do plant based meals the entire time we are there uh, they've talked about that so much uh, in the midst of all of this and diet related health issues and such uh, eating healthy foods and, and trying to provide practical ways that people can make those changes uh, if they so desire uh, so that self-care healthy nutritious eating uh, is not just a fad or something cool for the year but that is a integral like central part of your counter racist code like well-being self-care making sure that I'm eating correctly and getting exercise knowing racists intend for me to be in poor health right at the center of the retreat and like I said having practical strategies doing some in the kitchen workshops for meal prep and how we think about food and just what we eat how you can uh, some of the easy ways that you can kind of switch up what you eat those are things we will be doing August 5th through August 9th uh, in the nation's capital again hopefully the Rona and everything will cooperate uh, so that we can hang out for a few days eat well social distance be safe and then see if we can go back and have a, a safer better 2020 as we go down the home stretch uh, drop an email if you have uh, questions need more information until justice at gmail.com much obliged for folks uh, listened in live archive I uh, hope it was worthy of your time and energy uh, can only emphasize be safe like that is man right at the forefront uh, of counter racism and codification right now be safe um washing your and I mean that encompasses a whole lot of things washing your hands socially distancing staying home if you don't have to be out and about I do not think this is the time to be out in groups uh, large numbers of people for lots of reasons uh, just it's so unpredictable you don't really know uh, what's going to happen uh, again uh, that's you know you do make that choice you know VGQ uh, you make decide what's best for you but again that's I'm making this choice knowing I could die in the next five seconds from any from a variety of things. Tear gas, rubber bullets, gunfire, anything, all kinds of things uh, in that sort of environment. I know that going and I'm all right with it. I'm ready. You know, anything happens. I'm ready for it. Long as you had that mentality right on. But uh, I do not think that that is a, a safe or wise decision to make. Uh, I think we have a lot of work to do with regards to countering racism uh, that can be done quietly from a safe location. That word safety mentioned a lot today. Safety from uh, as safe a location as you can muster uh, from the weak and dangerous confines of white supremacy, uh, white supremacy racism. 
with that sobriety would be best uh, under conditions of white terrorism uh, let's preserve our brain computer uh, we are going to need a lot of high level thinking uh, if you're planning on relocating and going to a different part of the world or whatever uh, if it's staying right here uh, and doing the best you can uh, to resolve this problem permanently we're going to need our brain computer working well uh, alcohol consumption is not going to help with that at all uh, in a day or any of their narcotics and poisons really uh, in addition to being sober let's be buckled every time we are in a vehicle driver or passenger again shouldn't be doing a whole lot of going out right now like I've been saying that for a while I'd recommend let's try and stay in uh, a little bit more uh, especially for folks in the states I guess if you're elsewhere and you don't have gun toting white people out on every corner badge or no then maybe that's a little different but certainly in the states uh, I think this would be a good time to remain inside a um, lot of dangers uh, outside the residence right now uh, the Rona armed whites some of them with a badge some of them without really have to be mindful of that they've been, had so many reports this year uh, about increased gun sales increased sales of ammunition you have a lot of armed race soldiers uh, you might not be able to see the firearm you don't know where they have it but I mean that has to be thought about you do not want to just be same thing he said in Japan you know you don't want to be just getting into conflicts it's not you know about saying you're, you're dedicated to being nonviolent. it's just hey I'm in a really dangerous environment same thing he said in Japan I'm in a dangerous environment and this thing could go bad and I'm going to be the one who gets the most damage it's not even a question I know that's going to be the case and that could means I'm the one that ends up being killed in this situation because I don't have a firearm even if you do Philando Castile, Alton Sterling a lot of those different examples so yeah I would be very mindful of that as you're out and about or really I would try to stay in as I've said if you are going to go out I'd be strategic be really alert mindful about what's happening if anything looks peculiar any people look a little bit suspicious I would vacate try it again once it's safe but this is not really a time to take a lot of chances unnecessary risks lots of dangers worldwide lots of dangers right now be mindful with that uh, or so we're sober we're buckled if you are driving you're not on the cell phone just taking every precaution to minimize contact with race soldiers badge or no that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately I will say it again you have a lot of armed white people that's the theme of the year they've bragged and boasted about being armed in public at least in the states if you're in Tokyo or someplace else I guess you don't have that problem but here in the states lots of armed white people be mindful of that do not be reckless do not be careless in getting into confrontations or that sort of thing or if a white person is an aggressor against you 
be mindful of that you got a lot of armed white people I know some of them are looking forward to confrontation where they can use the great equalizer as the grandsister would say sayonara thanks all we're tuning in nigga you so brainwashed I'm a victim brother you're a victim I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning Mm -hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned (laughs) with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.